Hey everybody, welcome to Behind the Net Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and joined beside me is... Matthew, as always. Of course, as always. And this is, I believe, episode 24, right? Yep. Um, last week was the Michael Jordan episode, and this week's the Kobe Bryant episode, so... <laughs> Two <laughs> That's legends. That's a good way of putting it. Of course, of course. So on today's episode, we are very pleased to be joined by Ian Tulloch, who needs no introduction, but I'll do one anyway. He's a hockey contributor for The Athletic, with an emphasis on bridging the gap between analytics and the eye test. He also hosts a podcast called The Leafs Geek Podcast, and co-hosts the Staff and Graph Podcast with Rachel Dory. Ian, welcome to the show, man. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you guys doing? Uh, I heard number 24. I thought you guys jumped to Kasperi Kapanen, Maple <laughs> Leafs legend, who always completing... <laughs> Completing those cross-ice passes on the three-on-twos. Just everyone's favorite player this year. Doesn't it feel like such a long time ago that we were actually complaining about hockey? Oh, yeah, it does man. feel like a while, actually. I mean, every episode, we're just trying to come up with something to talk about in terms of hockey or basketball or what it, what have you. But, yeah, it feels like a really long time to actually complain Frank about Frank was the last great debate I had with anyone. Me and J.D. Bunkus were going at it because... He doesn't like Kapanen, and I've argued that Kapanen's a strong second-line player who's stuck on a team with Nylander and Marner, and I'm a Kapanen truther, so I'll defend him to the death, but definitely understand why people get super frustrated with him, because he's so talented, he has the speed to blow by people. If he'd just make that next high-level play, I feel like there's a 60-point player in there somewhere, but I don't know. We'll see if he ever gets there. Again, that kind of talk, that kind of sports radio talk, we've been missing that for the last two months. It's It's been pretty dark lately, man. It has been tough. I mean, mm-hmm. for real. But, uh, I mean, I, I just really miss it. What, what have you been up to in quarantine other than, you know, missing sports as we all have been? <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. And my biggest thing that I was doing during the regular season was the Leafs report cards. That kind of helped me keep – a daily routine i'd find out is there a leafs game tonight okay perfect i'll plan my day around that i'm up until what 1 a.m 2 a.m get them out the next morning i'm reading the comments big mistake don't do it but that was a big part of my life beforehand now there are no leafs report cards i'm you know freelance writers it's really tough times right now every business every industry who are in tough positions like freelance positions are kind of being laid off right now and the athletic i'm going to continue working there after the regular season starts up again i don't know when that is and it sucks right now and i'm trying to stay positive and get back into doing some things i know the podcast is something you guys have been doing quarantine and i'm I'm really proud of you guys for doing that good job i've been in such a shitty mental headspace I haven't been able to get myself there. I think this week is when I finally turned things around. You guys follow Mikey Stevens on Twitter, I gotta think, right? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we do. Of course. Yeah. Big shout out to Mikey Stevens. I saw this on Twitter the other day that he did talk about his depression and how things had gotten really bad and how he went out and saw a therapist because he wanted to try to make a positive change in his life to help with his depression. I thought that was super cool. It got four or five thousand likes on Twitter. People are very supportive of him. It gave me the confidence to go see my uh, therapist uh, for the first time in years. I haven't seen one since 2016. I saw one an hour ago. And I feel wow. like yeah, I'm trying to take that next positive step forward because these last two months, I think for people in the kind of millennial age group, they're slightly before it or slightly after it. And that I feel like 16 to 30-ish age range, we're going through different problems that adults are right now. 
you know, adults are losing their minds with their kids right now. Whereas the kids who are trying to be young adults are really struggling right now because the economy just told them to go screw themselves. And you're, a lot of people are stuck at home and they don't want to be at home. And it's, it's a tough time right now. Everyone has unique problems that they're facing. And I just, I think it's really cool that people like Mikey are going out there and trying to make a positive change and do things for, to better themselves, follow in his footsteps and do better. One thing I will let you know, Mikey, is that I'm not taking penalties every 10 seconds in NHL 20. And Mikey spends half of his games in EASHL in the box. As all this guy does is take trips and dumb interference penalties and charging penalties. And he's my line mate. He plays left wing. I play left D. My boy. I love this man. Don't stay out of the goddamn box. And he needs to, he needs to watch himself. I know that he likes having some scotch in these late night nhl 20 games that we've been doing this is one of the few things we've been doing that helps keep us of going course, of course of course nhl of course. 20 with the buds uh myrtle's on our team me myrtle Mickey stevens steve dangles on the team we'll all be either drinking or just vibing late at night mikey needs to stay out of the box i'm just gonna say I mean- it here live on the podcast <laughs> that he takes way too many damn penalties and i have my own flaws trust me i'm gonna Basically, i'm gonna i'm gonna defend mike my Mikey here just a little because uh I mean we, we want to talk more about your uh like the Dangle Navy uh, and uh NHL 20 more later but to be fair in NHL 20 is it just me or, or is it so easy to get penalties in that game like like tripping is like tripping almost automatic that? you know it's the people automatic. who say that oh you're gonna call me it's out like now. when Roman Polak <laughs> is in the box for the 20th time and he's complaining to the ref going yeah it's the ref's fault you're it's just like box every time. you can't it's so like Poke checking was like nerfed basically when because they increase the amount of like chances that become a trip. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I've said this there about Andreas Johnson. I've said it about Kerfoot. I've said it about JVR when he takes offensive zone penalties. There are players who I really like. If you consistently take penalties and you consistently end up in the box over and over again, you need to take a good look in the mirror and ask yourself, what are you doing wrong? Because it keeps happening. And Mikey, it keeps <laughs> happening okay you need to stop <laughs> <laughs> oh poor mikey now yeah. he's gonna come at me and say hey ian have you uh, made a breakout pass yet because i have Ooh. a jake gardner itis where i am a fantastic breakout passer my stretch passes per 60 are elite i i complete these passes that get us odd man rushes what my teammates will tell you is that i also make some of the dumbest turnovers you've ever seen because I'm looking up the ice. I'm looking for the Patrick Mahomes home run. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I don't see the two guys coming right at me, and I get crushed and turn the puck over, and it's in the back of the net. And what? I'm high risk. I'm high reward. But just like Jake Gardner, I would make the argument that the pros outweigh the cons. Oh, that's my defense. Mikey, I'm sorry. There's no defense for ending up in the box every 10 seconds. (laughs) On the topic of your breakout passes, I do. I mean, we were going to save this for a question, but seeing it's not. You know, it's more like a, a subtle jab at you. Tic Tac Tomar wanted us to ask you how to make a breakout pass. <laughs> <laughs> Teammates, man. I am not only the Jake Gardner of our team play style wise, but in terms of the number of times I've been scapegoated because goalie doesn't make a save or Omar, who, by the way, Omar had a million chances the other night when we were playing and his XG would have been like 10. Oh, we gave him so many wide open tap-ins. Kept missing them. He was like rookie Zach Hyman. 
just had a million great chances from <laughs> Nylander and Matthews setting him up backdoor, saucer pass in the crease. Him just whiffing on it every single time. He has no Luckily, finish. Zach Hyman's developed into that, what, he's on pace for 35 goals this year. So with mm-hmm. Omar, what I will say is that I don't know what happened, but he changed classes this year from – I don't know what he was doing all year, whether he was trying like the sniper or dangler because he thought it was like this super skilled guy. He's not. I think he's the worst on our team at zone entries. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh we made this joke that like we love Omar. He goes hard to the net. He's the best at our team on uh, deflections and rebounds, and he leads the, the team in garbage goals. And, you know, they don't ask how. They ask how many. And ever since Omar changed to the power forward class, he's been getting all those garbage goals. Uh, the man does not have uh, skill. That's okay. You know, we don't need skill. Mm-hmm. We just need goals, and he gets us goals. But oh, yeah. Omar, I, you know I, what? You know how many breakout passes I have? More than you have completed passes in the neutral zone, man. I've never seen you complete a pass in the neutral zone. Oh, there it is, do Omar. Uh, you got to respond to that. something, man. <laughs> Mikey, Mikey, now we got it. We got to hop on, Chell. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So we it's hop fun. On. Yeah. This is the one thing I've been doing lately that has been a lot of fun. It's been hard to find stuff because live sports used to be that thing that connected us all. Oh, yeah. Now none of us are watching the same thing unless you find a reality show that everyone's watching or unless you find a movie that everyone's watching. You can kind of talk about it. That's why sometimes we're talking about the show too hot to handle yeah. because it's yeah. so ridiculous and it's so stupid that it's actually fun to talk about oh yeah that's nhl 20 for us lately so oh some course. good yeah. back and forth on the team i take the the most of it just like in real life uh, i have people dunking on me uh I'm used to it it's okay i can take it but just know that late in the game when you need a, a stretch pass for a two-on-one know that i'm the guy who's gonna make that exactly uh, in late late game gotta pat myself on the back here because no one else is gonna do it i guarantee you no one is gonna compliment me after i make that beautiful play but the second i make a bad turnover and everyone in the chat is just screaming at uh yeah listen it's late in the game you gotta take risks to to get the the time goal if you're in that situation i I respect that like that's what the kind of thing the starter did and this is also why most of Toronto hated Gardner. So, you know what, Toronto? I can deal with being that guy. I just know that it's going to lead to some W. Hey, listen, someone's got to be the scrape going. Unfortunately, it's got to be sure. the guy that takes the most risk. <laughs> I do it, man. Uh, oh, for sure. High risk, high reward. That's that's what I am. People will, sometimes they'll joke that I'm, uh, I'm high risk, low reward, that there's no point to trying that ridiculous saucer pass in front of my own net. But... I'm saying, hey, if I complete that and then you complete the next pass, oh, we got them on a two-on-one here. I'm trying to open up space the way Esmus Sandin does with his cool little saucer passes. But the one thing I think I'll say about Sandin is that I think he completes a higher percentage of passes than I do. I remember there was uh, that stat on Sport Logic that showed that he was, what, top 10 in the league completion percentage. I'm thinking that makes sense. The dude just always completes his passes. Don't think I would be tops in the league in percentage i think i'd be a bit of a riverboat gambler kind of like brett Favre in his prime yeah that is true although i have to launching him downfield you know just chucking it and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but you gotta take some risks you gotta spread the ice vertically if you're gonna open things up underneath that's always been my philosophy the nikita zaitsev of breakout entries sometimes i am nikita zaitsev (laughs) sometimes i'm going go 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 and he goes left and i launch it right He's going, what the hell was that? And I'm thinking, you know what? I wasn't on the same page as you. 
Then it happens again, and I'm thinking, oh, no. This must have been what Nikita Zaitsev was thinking or what Cody Cece's thinking, and I'm thinking, oh, crap. Maybe I'm just bad. <laughs> there are games where I'm definitely just bad. Uh, you know, if you're good games, you have your bad games. I think that's the way things go sometimes. As I know from doing the report cards, go from a one star to a five star pretty damn quick that's just how sports that work. happens to me all the time in esHL mm -hmm. like playing with my buddies we'll have like the best night where we win like six seven games straight and then the next night we're just trash like we're just I had four or five teams. goals last night I had to fill in as a center because we needed a, an extra forward I'm usually a bad offensive player and I was just rolling and I was just crushing it I was by my man every time opening up space scoring goals thinking let's play another game get crushed i play terribly i don't generate anything offensively and we lose and i feel like shit so welcome to sports in real life it's just you go from having a great game this could be pickup basketball this could be soccer where you just have an amazing game you're vibing you're feeling it you go let's play another one and you get absolutely crushed and oh, you yeah. wonder why you chose to play this game it's just like <laughs> how we wonder why we chose to be elite fans <laughs> I was and then you, <laughs> so you know you don't want to miss so then you keep playing and you think, man, really should have ended on that win three games oh, yeah. ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. Facts. That is a that is totally true. That every, is every like time. 2 a.m. or it's 3 a.m. Every single man, time I get off NHL like 20, choices. it's because I feel like, why do I play this game? And then a couple days later, I'm back on it. Yeah. There's so many times where we have the party chat in our PS4s and then afterwards we have the group chat on Twitter. There are so many times where we'll just be angry, silent. People just turn off their PS4s. And five minutes later, someone messages in the group chat, God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's just hard to put the game down. You know what else is hard to do? It's to give up on this Leafs team. Because one game, they'll lose to a Zamboni driver. The next, they'll completely dominate the Tampa Bay Lightning. You never know what you're going to get. The consistency of the 2020 Maple Leafs. Our, our NHL 20 squad is very <laughs> unpredictable. Ability to hold a lead in the third period is uh, not great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other team scores a brutal backbreaking goal on us. Do we bounce back and get right back in there? No, we tend to turtle a little bit. Is that mostly me? Uh, what? Kind of. Uh, <laughs> I, I make some bad passes under pressure. I like to say that when we really need some offense and we're down like 2 nothing, there was a game where we were down 4 nothing in the second period. And a bunch of the guys wanted to quit. And I said, no, I'm going to take some risks. I'm going to get us some odd man rushes. Let's score some goals. We scored some goals. We ended up winning that game. So I feel like we have nice. the offensive firepower. Much like the Leafs, it's frustrating because when we do this stuff, we're thinking, man, when we're clicking and we're playing structured hockey, I don't see a team out there who can beat us. We kind of beat ourselves with our poor decision-making and our poor structure, uh, just dumb mistakes. And I look at the Leafs team and I go, yeah, that's a lot of what I see. A lot of the, the parallels, the similarities. And uh, maybe it's because we're dynamic offensively and just completely trash defensively. And maybe that's just uh, part of the reason I see the similarity. But no, no, no. The, the Leafs, it's hard to talk about them because they haven't played in two months. What are your overall feelings of the season? Because as a fan, this was my least favorite season as, as a, a Leafs fan. As a writer, it was fascinating. As an analyst, they were really interesting. And like some of the stuff that they were trying to do innovatively with tactics in the offensive zone and the way that they would shift Tyson Berry around. And on the power play, right before hockey ended and, you know, Rudy Gobert ended sports, 
the Leafs had just put Tyson Berry on the left flank of the power play and Mitch Marner on the blue line for being creative. They were trying new things. I thought it was really interesting. As a Leafs mm-hmm. fan, with the expectations that came into this season and what you wanted to see, first month and a half was a tire fire under mm-hmm. Babcock. Mm-hmm. came in it was fun for about a month and then morgan riley got hurt and the wheels kind of came off defensively and never really got to see the proper version of the leafs and we were starting to get a taste of it and then covid hit we weren't really sure what the leafs oh, yeah. were going to be we weren't really sure what the playoffs are going to look like it's, it's a frustrating team it's been a frustrating year curious you guys do your own podcast what have been your thoughts on the season as a whole if you were to just evaluate it and, and backtrack and say mm-hmm. you know what those first four and a half months of the season how do we evaluate that because it was really all over the place i mean for mm-hmm. me this has been the honestly the craziest season i think as a fan from fans perspective because um obviously with this team we know the expectations are high for this team so um this season has had a lot of ups and downs a lot of them so many ups and downs and that's really, I mean, the emotional side of it is going to be driving us every game to be wanting to watch, you know, from one extreme of wanting to watch to, you know, wanting to give up the next day. And there, I mean, like you said, Ian, from a writer's standpoint, um, there's just obviously going to be so many narratives around this team. Mm-hmm. It's just been, it's been a really wild card season, I feel like is the best way to put it, because it was like, it's like flipping a switch like every other week. But exactly yeah it's been crazy and um it, it i wouldn't say it's my favorite season to watch but it, it definitely has when you're looking at it from a positive lens um it's definitely been very interesting absolutely and i guess i could just add to that and i would say that the only word i can think of when i think of the 2019-20 season is stressful and this is probably the one season uh i've had in such a long time where there were times that uh, i contemplated just skipping out on the Leafs game just not even bothering to watch it like that's how stressful some parts of the season were and maybe it's just the expectations uh that were placed upon this team uh, maybe it's just because of all the injuries possibly to do with uh some players having not so good seasons like Tyson Berry at least comparing to our expectations and then we having players like uh John Tavares who had the captaincy and then there's also the Bank Babcock thing switching over to Sheldon Keefe and all the other things that have been going on with this team, like it's can be super stressful in some aspects because you just watch this team going through all the things that they went through and just how battered and beater they were injury-wise. And yet it's pretty surprising that before the season stopped, they were right in the thick of the playoff race. And they, by all accounts, if place resumes and the season does resume with the, the playoffs, which sounds like it's going to be the case, at least make the playoffs, just by the nail skin of their teeth. Um, I guess if there's anything I can say, this Leafs team needed some adversity badly because they never really experienced true adversity. But I think this is going to be helpful in the long run. Didn't think facing a Zamboni driver in net was true adversity. <laughs> I think it was a wake-up call, if anything. If that uh, I'd tell you guys a, a quick funny story yeah, about uh, my trip uh, to LA slash Vegas because me and my girlfriend had this planned, our trip. It was, I want to say mid-February, late February, I can't remember. It was right before COVID kind of ended the world in in early March. March 9th, 10th, 11th, I feel like is when everything kind of changed. So this was right before that. 
Leafs season was driving me nuts, and I thought that this trip to L.A. would be a good chance to kind of reset things. Mm-hmm. So I arrive in L.A. on the first day, and I know that I have to write Leafs report cards. This game that in L.A. time is going to be from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. It's cool. The sun's out. I open the door, like the, the our, our side door at our Airbnb, while I you know have a drink and I watch this game because I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to mentally reset, watch the Leafs play the Penguins. It's going to be a good game. It's 5 nothing before the halfway point of the second period for the Penguins. I'm thinking, okay, nope. <laughs> this is going to be another straining night. Okay. And then their next game is against, against Pittsburgh again, and they played like their best game of the season, and they dominated that team. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is great. And then I go to Vegas for a weekend. And on, on Saturday night, I'm in a Vegas hotel room at 4 p.m., I'm thinking this is going to be such a great oh, game, man. you know, like Leafs are, are crushing it. They're coming in on a high. And I'm in a Vegas hotel room like screaming I know at going. my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Girlfriend's cheering for David Ayers and the Hurricanes because she, th- she thinks this is hilarious that this is even <laughs> happening. She's right. She's on the right side of history. I am the moronic Leafs writer slash analyst slash fan slash person in Vegas who's trying to get a mental health break from life and can't have it because this Leafs team isn't letting him enjoy the season. It's so frustrating. Yeah. This team drives me nuts. Steve <laughs> oh, Dangle man. says this all the time. You know, this, this team is ruining team my, is life. my life. Yeah. I feel like this season was peak Leafs in that regard. Yep. Honestly. I, that's no way did you, did you go and get drunk after? I mean... If I was in Las Vegas, I definitely had some drinks that night. Uh, Won money that night at the casino, so it was a really good night. Hey, (laughs) it was not too bad of a night, I guess. I lost it all the next morning. I ended up breaking even the blackjack table overall. In Vegas, you get free drinks while you're at the table. So that ends up more than paying for itself. So I I enjoyed my time in, in Vegas. That was a time for me to... Uh, it's funny the next morning after the david ayers game i thought okay i can get away from this i'm just gonna relax i'm in vegas i'm gonna have a good time at the blackjack table guy asks me where i'm from i say toronto he goes oh so saw them lose to their zamboni driver last night eh? and i'm thinking i thought in vegas people (laughs) wouldn't know about hockey and people are tripping me at the blackjack table about you can never escape you can never escape the zamboni driver one is safe ever as a leafs fan no matter where you are no matter what you're doing you can be having the best day of your life someone will just bring up remember that time the leafs lost (laughs) to a zamboni driver and it's it trumps everything you automatically lose yeah until the leafs do the thing we're gonna never escape it and i've accepted it you know I'm already there. Took me a few steps to get there, but I've reached the acceptance stage. There you go. For yeah. sure. Um, so well, we obviously want to talk about uh hockey. So um what is uh what are your thoughts on uh the Miko Lettinen signing? I think it's a complete game changer. I think the Leafs are gonna win the Stanley Cup now because of this signing. This is like puts them over the top. No, okay. The, knows a lot about <laughs> Miko Lettinen. I dead serious for a second. <laughs> Uh, one of my favorite stats I saw is that he was what second in the league in shot attempts. He's very much like Tyson Berry and that he loves shooting from the point. And I'm thinking, wait, that's not going to drive anyone nuts in Toronto. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what they need. But one thing I look at the Leafs in terms of the players they're looking to add, they just like adding talent. They like looking for the players with the most offensive skill. They're thinking, 
if we put them all on the ice together at the same time, whether it's their top unit power play where William Nylander doesn't really have a defined role. Is he bumper? Is he the net front when he kind of glides down to the open space in the left corner, kind of the opposite of where JVR was not the JVR spot to the right of the net, the JVR spot to the left of the net. Nylander doesn't really have a set spot on the power play, but you just put five talented players on the ice at the same time. They find a way to make it work. This defenseman was the most sought after European free agent and the Leafs signed him. And I'm not sure if the fit is ideal because again, you look at the Leafs talent on the blue line, which, you know, that's a very generous use of the word talent and really need more on the right side. Justin Hall is nice, but I think preferably you want him on a second pair, maybe even third pair. Jason Barry isn't going to be back the season after uh, this one if it does return, if we're being honest. So he's not in the long-term plans. Looking at that right side of the blue line, you're thinking who can play there. I don't know if Travis Dermott can play there in a top four role. I don't know if Sandine can play there his wrong side in the top four role. And I know that Muzzin or Riley do not want to do it. So can this guy come in and play on his wrong side? Probably not. So, I mean, best case scenario, we're looking at, what, a third-pairing defenseman here? I'm not sure if he even makes the Leafs. Just realistically, you look at their left-hand depth on the blue line, and I'm not sure what this is other than a depth signing. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, it's going to displace everyone's favorite Leaf, Martin Marincin, who probably Marley duties, or his my favorite role for Marincin is the press box role, where you just there get you to look oh, up yeah. every night in a suit, and he just looks fabulous for uh, you know that long those long lanky arms. I don't. He must have custom made suits. They don't have suits to. like. That. And uh, he's just chilling in the press box, and then he gets his ten games a year as an injury replacement. And most of those games are frustrating. Then he has the odd game where he goes bar down uh, for a game winner against Vancouver, <laughs> gets his own rebound, and, and gets his goal uh, play to the Titanic theme. It was one of my favorite moments of the season, but realistically, <laughs> this displaced Martin Marincin as the number seven, number eight defenseman. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Like, uh, it's a depth signing. I don't think it puts the Leafs uh, in any major position that they weren't already in, which is need a right-handed defenseman this summer. I don't know how they acquire it, whether it's via mm. trade or free agency, but that hole is still very clearly going to be there. I'd argue it exists right now, even with Tyson Berry in the lineup. I don't know if people in the Leafs front office disagree because they think with his talent, you just find a way to make it work offensively. I still think you need a, a more of a defensive presence on the blue line, similar mm-hmm. to what they have in Jake Muzzin. You need a right-handed Jake Muzzin. Where do you find one of those? I'm not quite sure, but that's not my job. You know, that's Kyle Dubas's job, and I'm curious to see if pull that off in the offseason, whether that's, what, December, January. I don't know when the offseason is going to be in the NHL. The Leafs are going to have the same problem they've had every offseason. I can remember covering them, which is need to acquire a right-handed defenseman. Well, didn't they do that this past year with Tyson Berry? I don't know. I'm still of the opinion that he didn't fit what they needed. I, I know that he's coming and he's been helpful on the top unit power play, mm-hmm. but they were going to have a top five power play in the league with or without him. I think what you really need help with with the Leafs is even strength. Do you have someone who can tilt the ice in your team's favor? I think you look at a lot of advanced metrics. You look at the results when he's on the ice compared to when he's off. Look at who he's playing with and you adjust for all those factors. I don't mm-hmm. think he's tilting the ice in his team's favor. I mm-hmm. think he gives up a lot defensively and doesn't make up for it, especially when you consider his shot selection. So that's the thing with me. I think the Leafs are still 
falling a bit short in that regard when I look at their team construction. Yeah. But they could beat anyone in the playoffs with their scoring ability. They catch fire at the right time, and Frederick Anderson finds his groove again. It might not get to see that. We might get to see that. I don't know. Uh, my guess is as good as yours when it comes to whether or not playoff hockey resumes, but... I like this Leafs team from an offensive standpoint, but much like everyone else, uh, I, I can see the very obvious uh, flaws with the team. The holes in oh, the absolutely. team. absolutely. Yeah, of course. And, and I think there's uh, one question that I have in mind. So Mika Lettinen is a left-shot defenseman, and assuming, of course, that Tyson Berry and Cody Ceci leave, there's probably only going to be one right, true right-shot defenseman. So i got to ask you this, Ian. Are the Leafs just allergic to right-shot defensemen? <laughs> I don't think they solved their problems by bringing in Cody Cece. His expected goals are great. Just listen to Kyle Dubas. It's oh, uh, problem solved. <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry. That's kind of mean. But the thing with Cody Cece is that he's not that great, and we keep trying to find ways to make him seem as if he's all right. And here's the thing. He is what he is. What is he, a number six defenseman? But... Yeah, I don't know. Bringing him in never made any sense to me in the first place. Still doesn't make sense. I mean, uh, for me, Cody Cece was just turning Nikita Zaitsev into one year, and that's it. He mm-hmm. just had to live with it. And uh, I don't know. They made no <laughs> attempt to get out of it. I know. The, the I fact know, that they, they overpaid him by 200000 for no reason made no sense to me. Yeah, and the thing that confused me the most, too, was that they were doing all out on trying to give Cody Cece as much praise as he po- they possibly can. And unless they're trying to up his value so that when his contract ends, he can go out and sign somewhere else for a lot of money, I don't know. But if they were just trying to actually get some value out of him, I think it was pretty clear from the get-go that this is no disrespect to Cody Cece, but he is what he is as a third-pairing defenseman, and they tried to make him be a little bit more than he was by spending way too much time alongside Morgan Riley. I'm just curious how you look at that Leafs lineup and you tell yourself, we really struggle defending, especially against the rush. What should we do pairing-wise? I know what we'll do. Let's put our two worst transitional defenders in Morgan Riley and Cody Ceci together. Let's hard match them to the best offensive players in the league. Fantastic at breaking them down off the rush. They couldn't defend a simple three-on-three together. That pairing was a disaster, and they played for two months together. I think Sheldon Keith had them together for a couple games and went, nope, to change this. <laughs> he, like he tried Muzzin and Barry together for a short amount of time. Didn't like that. Riley Barry experiment is one that I still didn't love by the end of it. I understood the idea of it. In offensive zone situations or when you're trailing and you really need a goal, understand it a long run of a 60-minute game. Still think the Leafs... uh, When Morgan Riley's on the ice, I think he needs to play with someone who can cover up for his jumping up into the rush all the time, his how aggressive he is in the play. I think you need someone who's a bit more defensively responsible. Tyson Mm -hmm, Berry, I've made the same argument. So that's it's why I don't think two had his chemistry playing with each other. Interesting thing is that Jake Muzzin, you'd think, would be the perfect fit. I do think that if the Leafs were still playing, that we might have got to see uh, more of a Muzzin-Berry experiment for a few more games, maybe see if it was a way to open up the lineup and maybe get a Riley-Hall pairing and then a Sandine-Berry pairing. Now you have three good pairings. Be a shelter the, the crap out of that Sandine-Berry pairing because mm-hmm. you don't trust them in their own end, but have old pairings, have th- players with skill, 
players who can move the puck. One good transitional defender on each pairing. It, in my opinion, Justin Hall's a good transitional defender. Rasmus Sandin's a good transitional defender. Uh, just uh, Jake Muzzin's just a good defender in all regards. And the puck mover on every pairing. I just feel like that would have been ideal pairings, in my opinion. Now, Travis Dermott doesn't make that lineup. Maybe you go Dermott instead of Sandin in that scenario. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting topic to bring up. If I could bring him up real quick. Uh, he's someone who I've always been high on notoriously. He had a really weird season. We look at him, and he started off the year really bad off that injury. Mm-hmm. After would have been a reasonable amount of time, in my opinion, to come back from an injury, he's still really struggling with handling a heavier load whenever he was asked to face second or third lines, get the odd shift against the first line and get completely caved in, and you're thinking, man, on Travis, this is season where you're supposed to take that next step forward. I think mm-hmm. after Jake Muzzin went down with that injury, this was in, I want to say, February, man. This is taking me back to, when was the season actually on again? This is mid-February when the injury yeah, happened. Yeah, around there. Yeah. yeah. And I really thought that Dermot was starting to play much better hockey. He was starting to play some of his best hockey of the season. And then the year ended, and I was thinking, oh, crap, this could have been a chance for him to prove that he could solidify himself as a top-four defenseman in this league. That really helps the Leafs address other parts of their lineup, maybe test mm-hmm. out a Riley Muzzin pairing to say, hey, can this be our shutdown top pairing? Because then we can have uh, some more flexibility on our other pairings. It really could have helped a lot. And we'll never know now because when everyone comes back, Travis Dermott, much like everyone else, is not going to be used to the run of play. And there are going to be some weird kinks if the, the Leafs and the rest of the, the league does come back because – Everyone who is in a groove is no longer going to be in that groove. Everyone who is in a funk is no longer going to be in that funk. Everyone's going to come back and a bit rusty together. It's going to be similar to you know, preseason and the first month of the regular season where nothing's as crisp and the defense isn't as tight. You know what's interesting is that might benefit mm-hmm. a team like the Leafs where just raw talent and skill would be the best thing to have as opposed to defensive structure. So. I don't know. There's a lot going on with this team, but Travis Dermott, I think, was uh, the big X factor this year. And for most of the season, was a big disappointment. I thought towards the end of the season, it was starting to look like he might have been able to fill that role. If things do come mm-hmm. back, he's going to be someone that I definitely have my eye on because he should have the the young legs to be able to come in right away as a 23-year-old, be much fresher than some of those veterans in their 30s. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see if play does resume and he keeps yeah. playing at a top four level, because I think he has it in him. Oh, of course. Absolutely. And I think one thing that we keep forgetting sometimes is that Travis Dermott did have that injury that took him out of commission for about the first month of the season, I want to say. And you think that in theory, that after about maybe a bit of a few weeks of uh, getting back up to speed and playing in games again, he would have eventually found his groove and uh, gotten things figured out. But you're right in saying that uh, he did struggle a lot this season. And he did struggle to find uh, his footing. But when Jake Muzzent uh, went down, I think that was when he uh, realized I have to step up in place of an injured player. And I know I'm struggling, but if I don't uh, figure things out, I'm going. the team is going to really struggle. So I think that in some sense, Travis Dermott really did prove his value in that he can turn it on at the right time. But like you said, he did struggle for so much. Uh, you have to wonder uh, if this season is probably just like a blemish instead of just like the start of sign of things to come. And I think it's just merely a blimp in the radar. What a lot of people will point to is the playoffs when he was awful, let's be honest. Yeah. He was injured and Gardner was injured in the playoffs. I know 
you asked Dermot, he'd say that it hurt to make a pass. Like his shoulder was just so messed up. Jake Gardner's back was completely messed up. He couldn't skate. So I don't know. I think when we're evaluating players in the playoffs, you have to know when guys are playing with a severe injury. I mean, didn't Zach Hyman play a game with a torn ACL? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that was can't remember which so let's game evaluate these guys on a bit of a curve here, right? I mean, let's let's know what we're dealing with. There's a difference between a player who 100% like in their best physical shape versus someone who's dealing with a torn ACL. I know you get later in the season, everyone's dealing with a bit of wear and tear, but mm-hmm. the wear and tear on some guys in the playoffs, it's so bad that you should not be playing that game, but you find a way to play that game. I mean, Patrice Bergeron played an NHL playoff game with a punctured lung. These guys are kind of nuts, right? I don't know. Bar- Barrett Hayton scored that goal in the World Juniors game. Must have had a separated shoulder or a broken shoulder. I don't know what was wrong with it, but these guys play through some ridiculous stuff in the playoffs that we don't realize, and I think we need to remember that sometimes when we're trying to evaluate their play. But uh, with Dermot, it's frustrating because – you expected him to rehab better from that injury and be able to come in right away and perform well because someone like Zach Hyman was able to do it. So why wasn't Dermot able to do it? But I don't know. Everyone's body's different. Some guys take longer than others. You see this with prospects and development and some guys are at their own pace. And with Dermot, I I don't think he fully got into his full groove from a skating perspective. When you talk about, the the burst and the quickness and the agility and the confidence shifting out of the corner. I don't think we got to see all of that until, I don't know, February, maybe January. We didn't see it till later in the season. And even then, his confidence on the breakout, I think, is the biggest thing that really took a step back this year. He'd always been someone who was confident, grabbing a puck in the left corner, faking one way, shifting the other, making a quick pass to the open forward, and boom, you're up the ice. Struggling to do that, he was turning the wrong way, forcing a pass the wrong way, and it was a turnover, forcing the puck up the boards when there was a defender there. Decision-making in his own end, and frankly, his decision-making the offensive end, I thought, is where he was at his weakest. You look at his impact charts on Michael Blake McCurdy's stuff, which is some of my stuff, uh, my favorite stuff at HockeyViz.com. He's doing the coolest stuff when you look at the heat maps when a player's on the ice. Here's mm-hmm. where a team is getting shots. Here's where they aren't getting shots. It's first year in the league. He was awesome, and he he came in on fire and was in his team's favor like crazy. The next two years in the league were a bit of a disappointment, and this past year especially, offensively, a bit of a black hole. A lot of the team's shots weren't coming from dangerous areas. He was forcing shots from the boards, from the blue line, from low percentage areas, kind of the, the Tyson Berry shots that we like to joke about, that, dude, why are you taking that shot? When we're playing NHL 20, by the way, uh, we love to get on people for taking Tyson Berry shots. Whenever we're trying to work <laughs> better shot quality, the big thing we say is you just you can't be taking that Tyson Berry shot from there. And, uh, I think that can be uh, a problem with him sometimes. So hmm. when he has the confidence to make plays, I think he's at his best. I think one of the interesting things with him is you listen to guys like Justin Bourne talk about how the Leafs want him to settle down and play more conservatively. I'm not sure if with Travis Dermott, I'm not sure if he's wired that way. I'm not sure if he's ever going to be able to play a a super conservative, uh, you know, calm style of game just because I think he's proactive and loves taking away that space in the neutral zone, wants to play right on top of you, wants to tighten the gap every single time. That has value, and I think this is why Dermott gets sheltered so much in the NHL. Coaches don't trust him when the game is on the line defensively. They don't Mm -hmm. trust him to not jump up. 
give up a two-on-one and give yeah. up a backdoor pass. Frankly, I get that. And this is why my teammates don't trust me in NHL 20 <laughs> because I'm very similar. Mm-hmm. I, I love jumping up and picking off a pass and getting stuff going the other way. When you're down do- by a goal, you really need that. Mm-hmm. Oh, that yeah. has value. You're up by a goal, you don't need it as much. And I think what the Leafs want from Dermott is they want him to understand that when the team has a lead, there's a time and a place for everything, but let's loosen up that gap a bit. It doesn't need to be as tight in the neutral zone because you just need to not get beat behind you. I'm okay if you keep the play in front of you and they take a shot from the boards, from the blue line, from the top of the Mm. circle, you know, the quote unquote Tyson Berry shots, you know, the the low percentage (laughs) shots that you don't want people to be taken. We'll give them that. Just don't let them in behind you. I think with Dermot, he has a hard time understanding the balance between the tight gap that he wants to play, not getting beat behind you. And he's been getting beat behind him a lot. And I thought he was starting to get better at that by the end of the year. I think there are a lot of defensemen who have to fix that balance uh, when it comes to the, the way that they play their gap. You look at someone like Morgan Riley, he's a perfect example of someone who's done it, in my opinion, too far the other way. I know coaches like the fact that he constantly backs up, constantly backs up, barely gets beat for breakaways, but mm-hmm. he gives up so many clean entries where a player like Dermot would have been on top of him before that. And a of player course. like Nicholas Jalmerson or Jake Muzzin, where they, even though they're terrible skaters, they're really good at, okay, now I'm going to go at you and be aggressive. Oh, the next time I face you, I'm going to back up, back up, back up, poke. Mm-hmm. Kind of, You're playing with them. You change it up every single time to try to get in their heads. Or you're a maniac like Dermot, and you just go full tilt at them 24-7. <laughs> yeah. I think he needs to calm down a bit in that regard. Oregon Riley and Cody Cece and Nikita Zaitsev, this has always been my frustration. They just back up. They just back up and back up and back up. And coaches like that late in the game when they're protecting a lead and, you know, throw Cody Cece on the ice with, you know, four minutes left in a game where we're up by a goal because I trust him to not do anything stupid. He'll put it off the glass and out. He'll back up off the rush, but he won't give up that backbreaking play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I understand it, but I still think that most of the game, let's say the first 45 to 50 minutes of the game, should be playing a tight gap. You should be making life difficult on the opposition. It's something I'd like to see more from a lot of Toronto's defensemen, uh, namely oh, Morgan Riley, Tyson Berry, Cody Cece definitely come to mind. Oh, of course. Sure. And I think the one thing about uh, Travis Dermott's games when he's at his best is uh, his speed and agility when he's able to control those tight gaps. And that's something I've noticed too when I was watching games, uh, or at least when he started uh, playing uh, when he was at his best. And what I didn't notice as much... Uh, when he was uh, struggling a bit uh, this past season, I think because of that injury that must've played a factor in his agility, not being fully up to speed. And I think what we tend to forget is Dermot's not, it's not the fastest player, but he's definitely fairly quick. And I think that that's what usually gets to his advantage when he's trying to get away from defenders under pressure and trying to get the puck up the ice. I think if we're doing an NHL 20, his uh, speed and acceleration, well, let's go top end speed. His top end speed isn't great. I love Dermot, but he's not the fastest skater. Acceleration's pretty good, and his agility is nuts. His edge work is his biggest uh, asset as a skater. His ability to pivot out of a corner, his ability to stop on a dime and turn the other way, his ability to think that he's going one way and then quickly turn his skates the other way. That's what makes him special as a puck retriever and someone who can start the breakout and can play along the wall and 
this is something that Quinn Hughes kind of masters offensively because he combines it with high-end skill, high-end vision, ability to make plays, and he never shoot the puck before. Everyone used to make fun of his shot, and over the summer he learned how to fire a slap shot, and now he's a weapon on the power play. He's such a phenomenal player. Dermott doesn't have the high-end offensive ability of a Quinn Hughes. Like you say, the agility that Quinn Hughes has and the way that he uses it to his advantage, I think Dermott can learn a lot from that because Physically, Dermot has a lot of those similar tools as a skater that not many other guys in this league have. So I'd be curious to, to see if he could use that one incredible skating advantage he has on the rest of the league. Can he use that more to his advantage? Because that's when he's going to be at his best. Absolutely sure. agree. I do. I do want to say, uh, if anything, when we, if and when we get the season back, I feel like it'll, it'll really be interesting because going into the playoffs, this will be the most healthy that teams will ever be for the playoffs um and as you said you know last season with uh the injuries that not just Travis Dermott um experienced but the whole team we'll really see a better I guess display um to kind of sample um things off of um so I'm definitely looking forward to that if and when the season and the playoffs resume it should be a lot of fun I the one interesting thing we're going to see is much like the NBA uh, dream team. I'm not sure if you've been watching the Jordan documentary. Oh, of course. But, oh, of absolutely. course. Who hasn't been? The famous intra-squad scr- uh, uh, scrimmage between Jordan's team and Magic Johnson's team. I think Larry Bird's on one of the yeah. teams. Charles Barkley's there. David Robinson. I mean, some of the greatest basketball players of all time. And the intra-squad scrimmage. It's an empty high school gym. There's no fans there. You can hear the dribbling of the ball, the squeaking of the sneakers, and the players trash-talking each other. That's going to be what sports will kind of look like when they come back. I'm not sure if anyone's had a chance to watch a WWE live show. It's friggin' weird. It's going to take a while (laughs) to get used to if sports Mm -hmm. do come back, and this is what we end up watching, but... I think we'll slowly get used to it and we'll accept it. One thing to keep an eye on is uh, what did these mics pick up? Because I know the trash talk that goes on in the average beer league game. And I know the trash talk <laughs> that goes on in the average NHL game. A lot worse than that. The mics are picking up what's being said by some of these guys. We could have, uh, you know, some more ragged situations on our hands. Oh, oh God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, I figure what... I mean, you're only going to be hearing the players, right? Um, so, of course, you'll be able to hear those things. I just, I imagine it like, you know, like when you start an ESHL team on NHL 20, you start on like in like the small barn um, with no fans and it's just like dead silent. It's going to sound like that or it's going to look like that. And it's going to get, it's going to take a while for us to get used to. I think it'll be fun though. I think there's going to be a side of the game that we never saw that we will get to appreciate a bit more. At the same time, when a team scores the biggest goal of a huge playoff game and it's changing the momentum in the series, it's dead silent and all you can hear is a, a bench oh, yeah. going crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's just like the old saying goes. If the Leafs scored the game winner in game seven and uh, no one's there to see it, did it actually happen? <laughs> Do you guys ever play hockey in your teen years? But I wasn't good. I played house league. Oh, yeah. And my yeah, last couple years when I was like, 14, 15, 16, that, that's the point when your parents are like, all right, I'll drop you off and like, you know, you can play your game or whatever and I'll pick you up. But 
there's no one in, in the crowds. <laughs> and I'm thinking that's what it'll be like. It'll be like the average beer league game where someone scores and be dead silent. You just hear one guy go, Woo! I mean, <laughs> when 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 a team wins the Stanley Cup, I mean if the Leafs do win Stanley Cup this year, are they still gonna skate around with them? I'm sure they will, but it's just not the same like flex, you know? Put off to all twelve people in the yeah <laughs> i mean all of our then, love it. uh, it's just it's just not going to be the same it's going to be interesting yeah. though Weird. um but regardless of how the season plays out and well you know whether it should resume or not how do you think toronto should approach the off season there's definitely a lot of uh things that kyle dubas has to think about who would you say stays and who who goes there's so many unknowns right now when it comes to the cap. I think that's the biggest question mark that's going to put a wrench in this for a lot of people. Are we getting uh, buyouts? Is every team going to get one free buyout? That's something that's been suggested that might happen if the cap is uh, different next season than what we project based on the revenues that come in from COVID. We'll see if they're as high as they're anticipated to be because if the cap's different, that's going to change everything let's just be real mm-hmm. keeping that in mind i don't know i'm just looking at this Leafs team and i know a lot of people have said that you're gonna trade one of Janssen or kapanen that's something yeah. that's definitely gonna come up if the leafs go into the playoffs and lose in the first round to the boston bruins there are gonna be questions about whether you need to shake things up and i'm talking about the big four I'm talking about matthews tavares martin oh, yeah. nylander the Leafs and let's for fun let's just say the Bruins absolutely stomp them and even if it's a I don't know six game series the Leafs very clearly are outmatched a better team that they've now lost to three times in a row for fun let's just say that happens because that would be the narrative now you're thinking about do we trade one of these core pieces or something else or and, and these questions start to arise again it's tough to know what's going to happen in the playoffs and whether or not there are going to be meaningful conversations afterwards, because I think sometimes overreact to a small sample size. Mm -hmm. I think other times you can watch footage and say, yeah, Ron Hainsey, Nikita Zaitsev, uh, Roman Polak on the right side of the least blue line in that series crushed them. That made them easy tactically to match up against. It's something we really need to address. there There are certain things you can look at after an important playoff series or someone is trying to exploit your biggest weaknesses, and you can say, you know what? You can come into next year with fewer weaknesses. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge of this offseason is finding a way to improve the club while dealing with the, the narrative that you need to be something different than you are. Because I don't think Kyle Dubas is going to change the fact that the Leafs are going to be a team highly based on speed and skill. That's mm-hmm. what they value above everything else. But I think there's always that conversation of, well, these other aspects that you're missing, you know? And what's funny is we do this with everyone. We did mm-hmm. this with Jordan, you know? Before he won a title, he was, oh, is he just a, all he does is win scoring titles. He doesn't win actual titles. And I'm thinking, this is the greatest basketball player of all time. We did this to him. We're obviously going to do it to anyone until they win a championship. No one's going to believe something works until it actually does. But the Leafs, they're leading so hard into their biggest strength, which is their offense. I do wonder if they could maintain that dominance offensively while also cleaning up their transition defense. I think I've accepted that they're never going to be a phenomenal team in their own end. 
if they can just keep stuff to the outside mostly and take away backdoor passes, you know, that's what Sheldon Keefe wants them to do. They've yet to fully accomplish it in a Barry Trotz sense or the Dallas uh, system that's done a really good job at insulating their goaltenders. You can just keep things to the outside in your own end. You should be all right. The Leafs haven't been able to do that for the last decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I definitely so, do think if, if you know, hate to be negative, but if the Boston Bruins do either, I mean, of course, either take the series or just stomp the Leafs, I think a shakeup is kind of necessary. And I mean, we look, I mean, look at the Raptors. I mean, everyone's going to use that analogy, but they had to get swept to shake things up and it worked and i'm not saying like of course they're two different sports not apples to apples and there's definitely not a superstar available like um in the raptor scenario but sometimes it does kind of have to force you to reevaluate the team and kind of restructure it and i think it would make the argument that after game seven last year the pitching change might have been i thought so too oh yeah. for the team and uh, I think it, the, the general manager probably would have agreed. Uh, it sounds like the owner might not have, but, you know, th- these are interesting kind of behind-the-scenes whispers you hear about uh, the the coaching decision, I think, was something they needed to do earlier. Mm-hmm. They waited until November, and that's part of the season, The p- part of the reason that the season was so derailed from the get-go. Yeah. I thought Babcock was going to be gone, you know, within the next few days, just like how we saw with um... – you know, Dwayne Casey gone, like, right after the playoffs. It happen. Uh, again, without seeing a playoff run, it's hard for me to predict that next move is going to be, but I don't think we're going to see an eight-year extension for Tyson Barry that way. Yeah, oh, of course. I think of it's course. safe to say that. And yeah. honestly... I will say, ask this. Uh, sorry, sorry, Matthew. Because um, this is the kind of thing that I was thinking of. And a lot... You're, you're mentioning about uh, shaking things up if uh, the Leafs go through... Uh, another heartbreaking loss as per usual um two players that immediately come to mind that don't really jump off the page as players that you'd want to move uh i mean right away are morgan riley and freddie anderson and those are two guys that's current deals are nearing the end of their their current run like anderson's going to be expired next year morgan riley's two years from now and it looks like they're both going to be wanting a lot of money in their next deals and theoretically at least only can keep one so Let's say there's a scenario where the Leafs once again lose out in the playoffs and you have to decide between these two types of players, both have immense value, but both have their their apparent weaknesses. Which one of those two do you decide is more valuable to the team long-term? i give you a crazy answer. Yeah, go, go for ahead. it. Um, two, two years from now, I wouldn't want either player on my team on their next contract. And... It's tough to say because I love both Ooh. players, but I think on their current contracts, provide huge value. Oh, for uh, sure. Morgan Riley is worth more than $5 million. Drake Anderson is worth more than $5 million. What's Morgan Riley sign his next contract for? $8 million? I'm not sure what it would fall under, but it would be a large amount. I don't think he'd live up to that based on his 200-foot impact. I think he's offensively fantastic. He tends to get overrated because of that reputation offensively that we tend to overlook his blemishes defensively. Jake Anderson, it's the goaltender in, in their 30s uh, and assigning a Bobrovsky to a 10-year contract and in year one it looks bad. More the risk in that sense for Anderson, but I think that's a good conversation because starting goalies, it's tough because if you don't have one, realize how how hard it can be. I mean, Carolina for so many years 
had top five shot differentials and scoring chance differentials in the NHL, and they couldn't get a damn save because Cam Ward sucked. And maybe they should have moved on from him earlier. But, you know, saves matter, and having a reliable goaltender, a top five, top ten NHL goaltender that you know you can put in there for 50-plus games and you know every game of a playoff series, that has big-time value. At the same time, if you sign a goaltender in their 30s to a long-term contract, how often does that contract end up biting you in the ass? A lot more often than not. So I think realistically, long-term, the Leafs might need to look in another direction at goaltender. And again, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's via trade. I don't know if a good goaltender becomes available in free agency. We've seen teams and guys like Anton Kudobin to fantastic deals to come in and start 30 plus games as a reliable backup slash could come in and be the starter. If uh, Ben Bishop goes down and gets hurt, you look at Yaroslav Halak, tidy piece of business in Boston, signing him to that contract because make the argument that he was the best backup of the NHL this season. Now he's on a one-year deal paying him what? Uh, around $2 million? What was the exact number on that? 2.25, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 2.25, and that's... He's, he's worth more than that based on the value he provides in net. He's an excellent goaltender. I think that model around the NHL seems to be don't just have one guy who you can count on, have two guys. And I'm wondering if moving up forward, least are going to go in a direction where they're not paying one guy, you know, seven, eight, nine million dollars because then the risk factor is huge and you can end up in a Jonathan Quick situation where you have a lot of faith in a goaltender in your team, giving him a long-term contract and that goaltender couldn't meet the expectations of that contract. Mm-hmm. What would be my concern with Frederick Anderson? You sign Anderson on a five, six, seven-year deal. First couple of years might be all right, but halfway through that deal, he's probably not meeting expectations. And that's, yeah, and this is the tough part about being a GM. If my goal is to save my job today and I need a goaltender for, you know, the next year, I sign that goaltender, that seven-year contract, and I'm probably not even going to be GM of that team by year six or seven. What do I care? You know, I'm Dave Nonis. I care about year one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dark think, times, dark times. Uh, oh, it's so, so hard to hear out loud. But I understand why GMs do that. And I understand why guys like Binning are trading, you know, future assets for Tyler Toffoli now. And he wants to make his team better now. He's trading a first round pick for um, JT Miller, who has been a selkie candidate this year. I understand why GMs do this. But I also think you need to take the long-term future of your team into account. When you have a core with Austin Matthews who's in his prime and signed for five more years. You have Mitch Marner who's signed for six more years, Nealander for six more years, Barras for six more years after this year, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I'll look it up. So have this core for at least five more years together. You want to be competing every single one of those years. And I don't think you want to put yourself in a situation you have a goaltender on a long-term contract and it's bad in year three. And for sure. You don't want that one player weighing you down for, I guess, the entire window of contention. Like Morgan yeah. Riley, my biggest argument has always been trade him when his value is at a high point. Now, it's, at a, it's not at a high point right now. So even though I'm of the opinion that trading Riley in the long-term future of the Leafs makes sense, similar to how trading DeRozan made sense for the Raptors, because... Mm-hmm. He was an overrated offensive Do you think player. Riley was, is that DeRozan, if anything? I think Riley's a better player than DeRozan in that I think Riley was is a truly elite offensive player. I never think uh, – DeRozan wasn't as efficient as yeah. he could have been. And Riley, I think, offensively is very efficient. 
Uh, I think he's a fantastic passer. I think what he's able to create off the rush is extremely important. I think his shot selection could be better, and that drives me crazy sometimes with him, but I think he's a fantastic offensive player. Like defensively, he's awful, and that's what, what DeRozan had in common with him. Mm-hmm. DeRozan was a freak athlete, much like Riley, was do, really bad defensively. Do you think, if anything, Riley would be that sacrificial lamb for the Leafs in the same way DeRozan was if they did kind of have to shake up the team? Would be the Kawhi Leonard coming back in that trade? And Pareko? No clue. Like that's, that's, that's what, yeah, that's part. what I was saying. I don't think the market is the same. I mean, that was a perfect scenario for the Raptors, and it's not the same for the Leafs. But if that's what I'm curious about, if the Leafs do have to shake up, you know, it's I wouldn't say it's the best time because there's not a lot on the market exactly for that. I tell you what, someone in a front office would say right now when I talk about trading Riley. And say, oh, you've clearly never worked for a team. <laughs> this guy is so important to our room, is the, the consummate professional, would be the captain if he was actually, you know, top two or three player on this team. Unfortunately, he's a step down from Matthews and Tavares and Marner, but he's the real leader in the locker room. He was yeah. before Tavares got there. He has been for the last few years. Such a great guy. Everyone loves Riley. Anyone you know who hangs out with Riley or talks to Riley, they all have great stories to say about him. And I completely understand the value of that in your room. He's been there um, since the Nonis days. This guy's been there the longest on the team now, which is crazy to think about because we've known him since he was like 18, 19. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was 19 his first year on the Leafs. Now he's a, an old veteran on the team. It's weird to think about. I think from a pure value perspective, you just look at this and you go, What's he going to be worth on his next contract? Is he going to be making more than he's actually worth in terms of pure on-ice value? Is he making less than he's worth? You want players who are making less than they're actually worth. Leafs have a problem with this because they tend to play pay, pay players more than they're worth in these contracts. <laughs> well, look at Mitch Marner. You look at well, I mean, Matthews' contract is a tough one because it's uh, in. I would argue it's the best contract in the NHL, the oh, Austin yeah. Matthews contract. He wasn't the best player in the NHL. So I'd still argue that Toronto didn't get great value on that. Marner one's a classic example of, come on, man, you need to negotiate this contract better. <laughs> and I'm really worried that the next Riley contract, if the Leafs were to sign it, would be a bad contract for the Leafs. What can you do? Honestly, next season, I'd put Riley on the top unit power play. And Tyson Berry's gone. We know he can do it. Let him rack up his 60 or whatever points he gets. Trade him when his value's at an all-time high. Because right now, Riley's having a a, a pretty rough season by Riley's standards. Uh, The point totals aren't going to be there. But at the same time, what could you get from Morgan Riley in a trade? Return could you get? Because you look at the prospects on the Leafs' blue line. They're all left-handed. And the ones that I have... If in long term, you know, Rasmus Sandin, namely, I think he's going to be a top four defenseman long term. I have a lot of confidence in that. Mm-hmm. I also think Jake Muzzin's going to be excellent for the next two years. One two punch at left D of Muzzin taking the hard minutes and Sandin taking those second pairing minutes makes a lot of sense to me. Who I need? I need a right handed defenseman. I have Justin Hall, who's good on the second pair, easing on the third pair. I need another right D who I can play in my top four. You trade Morgan Riley and get that player. Even if he's not quite Morgan Riley, because you know what? You don't even need Morgan Riley. What you really need is like Brett Pesci. You know? What mm-hmm. you really need is someone who's really good defensively and can help lock things down because your team is so god-awful at that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think that that's something that they have to consider doing 
as early as next season or potentially uh, 2020, like 2021, 2022, when that's the last year of his deal. Because that's the perfect time to strike. The best time to make a move, I've found now, is when a player has a year left on their deal. And that's what we've been seeing at the trade deadline. Like One perfect example is a player that I was really high on in Blake Coleman that I really wanted the Leafs to get, but he ended up going to the, to the Lightning on what I would argue was a good deal for both teams. And he can sign a really good deal with them if once that once his current deal is up, because next season he's only gonna it's the last year of his deal. Yeah, it reminds me a bit of uh remember when Milan Lucic got traded with a year left on his contract and he yeah. went for uh the pick that ended up being one of those three consecutive picks where the Bruins didn't pick Thomas Shabbat, Matt Barzell, or Kyle Connor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they they traded Lucic for a pick that could have been an elite player for them long term. Just screwed up the actual drafting of it. They picked what Jacob Zaboral or whatever. Great trade, and you can trade players with a year left on their contract and still have it be a really good move for your team if the asset you bring back is also great. You just need to make good trades, and GMs pull off these really good trades that help them long term. Other GMs don't, and. The, the the scary part is that if you take this this high risk trade, this trade that could potentially you know, affect the, the locker room culture, and you know people are going, ooh, you know, screw management. They just traded away this fan favorite in the locker room. It might make you an unpopular guy, but if you're confident that it improves your team's chances of winning, I think trading Riley would. If you can bring in a right handed defenseman to play a 200 foot game. I think that would drastically improve the Leafs' on ice results, even though it would them in areas that are more difficult to measure i think at the end of the day that's your job as a general manager and as as a front office is to prove your team's ability and their chances of winning the game yeah i think trading morgan riley does that they'll probably disagree based on all the other things that he provides but and i would love to see what this team would look like a muzzin sandine first second pair long term over the next couple years and a true first pairing defenseman Either besides Sandine, because Muzzin can play with anyone, or alongside Jake Muzzin in a true shutdown pair, the same way we see Jacob Slavin and Brett Pesci shutting people down. For sure. I love mm-hmm. how you put it too, you know, Muzzin and Sandine as the one and two, because that just opens my eyes to see that I guess Riley is, I guess, tradable in that sense, that you just need to exchange him for a true right hand defenseman. And I feel like nobody's really looked at it really hard in that way and and that just it, it makes a lot of sense when you when you put it that way, and I think the Leafs definitely could look into that, especially if um, they have to shake it up after this playoffs. Let's hope it's not the same thing as you know we're used to, but you know, people talk about trading Dermot as uh, an avenue to improve the team, and I, I frankly understand it. You just look, and he's the odd man out. Yeah, oh for sure. Left-handed depth chart can't get this guy minutes. He's got to play on his wrong side, which play resumes and everyone's healthy. I think Dermot will be the one who's going to be forced to play on his wrong side and prove that he can do it. Uh, but it, it, what do you get for Travis Dermot in trade? Getting anything liable that's going to help you in your top four today? I'm not sure. I don't think you he's the Morgan piece Riley, that, You're definitely yeah. getting that. I don't think Dermot's the piece that gets you anything really significant that could really significantly boost your team back. But Riley's reputation league-wide, he was a top 10 Norris vote-getter in 2019. I mean, this is a guy who could probably get you a top-pairing right-handed defenseman, I think, and those are unicorns. So Mm -hmm. that's part of the reason. It's not because I hate Morgan Riley and I think he's a terrible guy. I love Morgan Riley. I think he's a great guy. I know people who are very close friends with him. It's just 
it's like the long term. I'm looking at the Leafs roster. I'm trying to find ways to improve it, and I'm trying to maximize our chances of winning. I'm going, you know what? We have an overvalued asset that year that is going to be worth a lot more money on the open market soon, and I don't want to pay that to that price. What am I going to do with this asset? I'm going to cash it in something where I get more long-term control over it. And I, well, for example, an RFA, I'd want a younger player or a right-handed version of what he provides because I don't need the left-handed version. I don't need a left-handed defenseman who I don't trust in top competition. We've got mm-hmm. plenty of those. We've got mm-hmm. Sandine, Dermot, this new Lettinen guy. I don't need another left-handed defenseman that I don't trust against the best players in the world. I need as a right-handed player who I can trust in those minutes. Who can you offer me? Open market. I'm offering Morgan Riley. Who's available on the right side of the ice? I'm curious what the NHL would say to that because like, what NHL GMs would legitimately be willing to give up for Morgan Riley? Because I'd like to think that it's a pretty decent price and I'd be willing to make that offer whether it's this offseason or next offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. and I think Morgan Riley right now is is probably the only player the least would be very comfortable with moving like if they want to get a big asset. Because remember, they spent a lot of money uh, on their big four, and they're going to be uh, the, the face of the franchises for the next few years. And if they they want to make a big move, you have to move somebody big on the team. And that's what happened last summer with the Nazem Kadri. In order to get that move where you get the right shot defenseman as well as a guy that can replace Nazem Kadri with Alexander Kerfoot, you had to move Kadri because he's mm-hmm. the only player that you could theoretically move in that scenario. So I'm with I you on say, that. I, I don't love that logic just because... They almost traded Nazem Kadri for TJ Brody and Mark Jankowski. I'm sorry. That would have been a terrible trade. It would have been not what the Leafs needed at all. You're going to give us another left-handed defenseman. By the way, he's never really been able to carry his own pairing. He's always been someone who relied on the other partner to be the guy who carries him. Playing with Mark Giordano is awesome, by the way. That must be really great to get to play. Of course. But I don't think TJ Brody's as good as uh, some of the – know micro stats think he is with his own exits because i just asked myself well when he plays away from mark giordano he's doesn't he do that well i don't think he does that well but least almost traded nazim kadri for brody and mark jankowski about that i just that was a panic trade i understand moving nazim kadri but doing it for the right pieces i think made a lot more sense oh there was also a carolina trade that was next I think Kadri for Pesci would have been an absolutely perfect trade. For it would have. Oh, for sure. It would have been perfect for both teams, I think. Carolina would have loved it, too. They'd be like, yes, we get a top six center who can do all these things we need a player to do for us. Top unit power play. Down minutes against the other team's top six. Kadri has value around the league, you know, and that would have worked really well for both teams. There are other players who come to mind who provide what the Leafs are looking for because we've we've gone through the checklist of, you know, okay, Josh Manson, Brett Pesci. You know, we, we needed Chris Tanev in his prime. That was a big thing when I was on Leafs Reddit in 2016. Mm-hmm. I was going, Chris Tanev, we need this guy today. Three years later, I'm now writing about the Leafs professionally, and I'm going, oh, Chris Tanev's <laughs> just no injury depleted. He's not the same guy. But I want that next offensive specialist on this Leafs team, and I'm wondering who it is and who's actually available. It's really hard to find that player because a lot of teams will put extra value on them because, as we said, most teams these days find defensemen, at least the best defensemen, are two-way players. You cannot, it's harder these days to find a true defensive stalwart. And I think teams recognize that, that once they do actually find them, they're going to hold on to them for dear life, unless they have an offer that they can't refuse. 
For sure. And I think that that's what's going to be that's happening. Why the Leafs though. keep resigning Martin Marincin? Oh <laughs> yes, absolutely. Just got to sign the guy that deked the Vancouver Canucks. Say six foot five and all those zone entries he denies. I mean, come on, man. That's why you got to keep the guy around. Exactly, and he's got soft hands in the shootout. The Nikita Kucherov <laughs> move from a few years ago. I still can't. I still don't think he did that on purpose. Still convinced it was an accident. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes the best players just make uh, accidents happen, and they work out perfectly. They don't ask how; they ask how many. Just, just ask happens. Omar. Yeah, Tax Omar, baby. <laughs> there you go. I, I do want to. I want to move uh, the conversation along, but I do want to ask you then: uh, What uh, are there any? options uh that come to mind on who the Leafs could chase especially to replace that uh you know that hole on defense and maybe it could be a UFA this uh free agency but who do you think uh, are some names that the Leafs could be looking at I give you one that I like bringing up on talk radio half is a joke but half actually kind of serious okay tried to trade for PK Subban at the draft I was thinking about that too Mm-hmm. Okay, so here is my tinfoil hat optimistic Leafs fan take. Leafs trade for P.K. Subban at 50% retained salary and don't have to give up much for him because New Jersey is just looking to get rid of the contract at this point. I, I don't know what the assets involved are, but I can't imagine the price would be super high. The way that you talk yourself into this is you say, you know what, P.K. Subban in Nashville before the, uh, the injury really got to him, his habits were really bad. He was being forced to shoot the puck off the glass and out every single time by Peter Laviolette. That changed his play style to the point where even though he was effective with his transitional defense and he was still doing a lot of things well against top competition, the thing that made him truly dynamic as a player, he, was, he wasn't being asked to do that anymore. And he was getting into these bad habits, which followed him into New Jersey. Sheldon Keefe and the Leafs had him. Could they bring out that dynamic P.K. Subban, encourage him to carry the puck, and make a breakout pass and never give the other team possession. I think Subban's high-end talent would thrive in that system. The question is, can he skate anymore? And frankly, I'm not sure if he can, because ever since the injury, it hasn't looked like P.K. Subban anymore. So you fully rehab that over the course of six months. I mean, a year. I don't don't know how long it would take. I don't know what he's doing right now to help the injury. Uh, you could joke about, oh, he's just making TikToks. He doesn't care about you know the integrity of the game. But <laughs> I mean, I, my Leafs fan the, uh, fanboy theory is that the Leafs could trade for PK Subban because they tried to do it before, because they see that there is some high end upside here. Even though the most likely scenario is that he's washed, that it's it's just not happening. Mm-hmm. There's a chance they could unlock something in there with the talent that they have get some legitimate top four value the defenseman on the right side of the ice against top competition something they've really never had justin hall is the closest thing they've had to it which frankly is really sad love justin hall i think he's a second pairing defenseman who could play on a championship level team like a number four you know i think he could be the second guy on the second pairing i think he has his value moving the puck up the ice but frankly these haven't had a, a good 200 foot right-handed defenseman in a really, really long time. Exactly. I mean, for and sure. I, I mean, oh, uh, I mean, even like during the trade deadline, Michael and I, we've been talking about PK Subban a lot, the exact same scenario because I ret- 50% retained salary, which New Jersey, you never know. He, they might actually want to do that. That's only 4.5 million. He only has two years left on his contract. Um, so when you think about it like that, I mean, like PK Subban is still 
more than capable top four defenseman. Um, mm-hmm. And and at, at worst, like he's an upgrade over Cody Cece. Am I correct? And who else is out there that you know another top four defenseman that you'd rather go after for you know two years, uh, even a short term contract? But there's not a whole lot to 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 choose from, and PK Subban does have that potential to you know play like his old self again. Exactly, and he did. Uh, the old, I think the reason the Leafs didn't get him uh, during the draft last year was just because of the fact that the Del- the Predators want to unload the entire salary, and the Leafs wanted to uh, have them retain it. And I think that in this case, when the Devils want to retain the salary and get rid of it as soon as possible, they might be more willing to take it. Hundred percent. Got a cr- another crazy idea, just because I'm here for hot takes. Of course, go for <laughs> it. Justin Bufflin is a free agent. <laughs> Now I know a lot of Leafs fans have been talking about him. Is the I'll give you the two sides of it. The the one side is you talk yourself into it. You go, this is Dustin Bufflin. Once he gets back into shape and into the thick of things, this is a guy who could be a legitimate, you know, intimidating presence who also provides at least second pair value at this point. The blue line on the right side on the PK, you know, places where you're weak could be awesome. The other side says probably weighs at least three bills right now Uh, i'm not sure if he's ever going to be back in nhl shape based on a lot of the things i've heard and i I hope he comes back and can have a successful i'm not sure if he even wants to so we'll see but uh, there are concerns legitimate concerns but again the reason that i like bringing up these guys is because there's upside there's no upside mm-hmm. in a, I don't know, let me just give an example of a free agent that's going to be available on D. Uh, you could bring up a name like Andy Green, Sammy Vatanen, TJ Brody, uh, Chris Tanev. I don't see the high-end upside in any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Just personally don't. Travis Hamanick. Mm-hmm. On Hainsey, baby. Of course. Bring him <laughs> I mean, back. I feel like Dustin Bufflin will be great, but I just I honestly can't see him. I don't even know I don't even think he'll play again. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I I personally don't think he'll play again. And plus he has a Stanley Cup rank, so I think he's if, if this is the end of his career, I think he'll be pretty content with not playing again. But it's Dustin Bufflin. We know what he can be when he's on his A game. Oh yeah, for sure. Sure that's what we said about Patrick Marlowe when we were <laughs> frustrated oh, with his play the first couple months of that season then it kept happening and it kept happening remember i had to write an article about his play that season i wrote it in about march when it was clear that he was basically done that season it was so sad i didn't even want to write it and submitted it i put it in i put in the work that showed that he was basically a replacement level player at this point in his career and it was just sad to because mm-hmm. i love the guy oh no of course hate, yeah how could you ever hate patrick marlowe He's got those dad eyebrows, you know, just seems like a really nice guy taking his ice baths between intermissions. Oh, yeah. Matthews and Marner are obsessed with him, and I don't blame them. He just seems like the consummate good guy. Mm -hmm. Of course. And for players like Marner and Matthews, who are up-and-coming elite players, uh, they need to have that veteran leadership that uh, helps them uh, develop into better NHL players. And what better way for them uh, to have that friendship with Marlowe? I think it came with the perfect time in their career, just like how... In Marner's rookie season, he developed that close friendship with uh, Matt Martin. Oh yeah. Speaking of veterans, though, Ian, Ian, I have to ask you quickly. Uh, do you would you want Joe Thornton on the Leafs? Because uh, me and Michael have been talking about, it and we think we think it, it would be a great uh, idea for the Leafs to bring in Joe Thornton if he's available. 
For one year. Six times for, out of for 100. One year, for one year. I mean, look at what Jason Spetz has done in Toronto, and you just think that Joe Thornton could be a, you know, a slightly better version of it. And he's motivated. It's not the exact same thing. Uh, give me a league minimum or, I don't know, guy making million and a half, two million or less, and he plays sheltered bottom six minutes oh, that yeah. he's going to dominate. And that's what Thornton's done when he's trying. I know this past season, people say, oh, he's just completely fallen off. He's done. I don't know. I feel like every veteran on that San Jose team, after about the first month or two of the season, basically stopped playing. Mm-hmm. And blame them. If I'm in my late 30s, my 40s, I'm living on a beach in San Jose, and the season's gone to complete shit. We don't have our own first-round pick. And team's playing bad. Our goalies can't make a save. Every coach is being fired. It's just it's a complete nightmare of a season. I'd probably stop playing well, too. I'd probably just back it in for the year and say, you know what? Screw this. Maybe next time. Mm-hmm. And if he's in Toronto in a good situation and he gets second power play time, he's playing on sheltered, whether it's a fourth line or a third line, and then in games where you're losing, you give him more of the offense's own starts. In games where you're winning, I don't know if he becomes more of a face-off specialist, which he is very good at. That would be interesting because, you know what's funny about Spezza is that this is terrible defensively, but he's amazing as a right-handed face-off man. And Joe Thornton's an excellent left-handed face-off man. It's having two guys who on their strong sides win more than 55% of their face-offs, probably closer to 60% on their strong sides. Mm-hmm. That has a lot of value as a coach, and I'd want that on my team if I could. So if you can make that happen, I think you would want to make that happen for all the, the reasons. And for, first of all, it'd be really fun to have joe thornton in toronto just you know bringing that beard to this market i'd be down for oh it. he actually shaved the beard i'm sure you guys saw <sighs> gonna bring um, it back it was, it was like back a some form of a beard <laughs> let's okay. be real yeah. i don't know if it's gonna it be as disgusting <laughs> it's gonna be like brett burns he, he he shaved yesterday that's what you don't realize about brett burns <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but i mean just the veteran presence goes so far i think a big thing about these leafs are that they need people who know what it takes to get to you know the finals or you know obviously even win it and um we saw how how far that goes with patrick marlowe and jason spezza i'm sure has been doing it you know internally as well can i say patrick marlowe did he ever go the distance and win a cup i don't know maybe this is why the leafs haven't won one yet they didn't get the the right kind of veteran leadership i mean first first obstacle is get past the first round they really need Five more years of Dave Boland. That's what I think. Oh, man. Yeah, they, they should have just, like, as soon as he uh, got injured, they was like, you know what? Give it another try. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, hey, we're trading for all the bad contracts in the league. Can we trade for Dave Boland's contract? Maybe bring him in for some practices, you know? All these guys, what it takes. <laughs> <laughs> just a Show team, them how to, how to score a Stanley Cup winning goal. A team full of bad contracts, but they're all Stanley Cup champions. That would, be, that would be fun. <laughs> He's already part of the squad. You, you're halfway there. Oh yeah. There you go. There you go. For sure. Um, but that would that would definitely be interesting. Uh, I think the Leafs should take a look at Joe Thornton if he's available. Um, but we do want to ask you about. I know. Um, you uploaded your uh new episode of the Staff and Graph podcast last night, and I uh it was kind of late at night, so I didn't um I didn't have a chance to listen to it yet. But I I did see that you mentioned that you guys speak about uh. You guys discussed the new draft, the proposed draft uh, format, and we want to know what your thoughts on it are, just summarized. Rachel's thoughts on it is that um, it's the dumbest thing she's ever heard of. She thought it was ridiculous, and 
idea of changing the the lottery odds at the last minute and holding a draft for the playoffs have even started when that's never happened before in the history of your sport. That just seems dumb. Frankly, I think she has a lot of good points. But, uh, the argument that I brought up is, well, I understand that the NHL wants to put out a TV product right now. Probably looking at the NFL draft success and saying, wow, that was something that was online and people actually cared about during these times of quarantine and maybe we can pull something like that off before live sports gets back and it could be something that'll actually give us some buzz and we're the nhl you know we're always the bottom of the rankings Uh and whether it's tv well you know anything people don't care about they're trying to capitalize on the quarantine yeah exactly yeah maybe maybe we can put something out there maybe we can find a way to turn this into a tv product what would it take oh, crap, we need all these provisions, we're playoff teams, this, that, and the other thing. So I understand why the NHL wants to get it out there. I'm not sure if it's the right call, frankly. I think the right call is to postpone it and do this after the season's over because it's the way we've always done it, and that's the way teams made trades with restrictions on certain draft picks. And gets this draft pick, it's based on the standings, it's based on whether or not this team made the playoffs. Crap, do they get that pick now or, or not? And... I think that's why inevitably in the end them's are just going to be too pissed off and they're not going to agree to change it and they're probably going to move it after the playoffs and the Stanley Cup are awarded if that's the kind of the the plan there but I understand why they want to get something frankly I don't blame them because I'm craving hockey so much I'll take anything at this point oh for oh, sure exactly yeah. I'm, I'm with Rachel like I think it's ridiculous sorry Michael I just want to say like I, I think it's an absolutely ridiculous idea because there's just way too many implications and uh consequences of you know of the whole idea um like why can't they just wait I know they want to you know focus the offseason on other things you know like free agency and, and uh those kind of things but this is not like the draft isn't something you really uh, to like mess with and be imaginative with. Um, maybe your playoff format. I know people have been saying that, you know, the playoff format you can get creative with and things like that, but I don't think the draft mm-hmm. is something that's it's been done a certain way for so long. And now you don't want to just mess that up or, um, I mean, the draft is such an important, uh, tool for, you know, the future of the league. Right. So it's, it's a huge thing. I would say it's it's even more important than the than just figuring out the playoff format. Yeah, and I'll just to quickly counter. I think what the NHL needs more than anything right now is finances because I'm not sure how accurate the statement is, but the NHL relies on ticket revenues a lot more than other leagues do, and because there's no hockey to be played, they're not really making a lot of money. So they need to make some sort of finances in any way, shape, or form. And the best way they can do that with is with live broadcasts of anything. And like Ian said, I'm craving hockey so bad right now. Aren't we all? If I could get the draft earlier than normal, if there's some way that they could tweak the rules where you can draft the players, but if you're a playoff team and they're going to make it like, let's say, the teams with the highest point percentage make it into the playoffs, the top eight teams in that regard, those teams cannot sign their prospects, cannot bring them up for next year until they're eliminated from the playoffs. That's probably a way that they can bend the way the rules for a little bit. Like I, I don't, I don't think that's something that they'll actually do. It might be too complex, and they might be like, you know what? Let's just wait until after this the season finishes if we can actually finish. And I think that's probably what's going to happen. But there are ways to get creative. Right now, this is a a unique time in history. Try something different. I mean, try something different, but don't you know? Don't make it, you know, 
make don't make the consequences outweigh the benefits of it. That's what that's all what I think. Well, of course, I no, I get that. Um. So yeah, well, what do you think, Ian? Uh, I mean, I want hockey back as much. What's funny is that all this talk about what the league does next in these dark quarantine times. I know that it that's what's selling the most on any sports website when they're trying to get hits right now. You know, oh, what's next for the league? How does this affect the league? Oh, I want to get stuff back. Frankly, I, I just, I don't care as much about this stuff, maybe as, as most people right now. I just accepted that in my head, I think it's going to come back at some point just because I think there's too much money at stake. And I think there will be games at some point in the next, I don't know, four months. I don't know if that's crazy to say out loud, but I just, I, I know how these billionaires think. And I, I've seen, you know, the stocks throughout history of, that sports owner did what in when they probably shouldn't have hindsight maybe that's how we'll look back at this but i do think we're going to be games played this season and with that being the case shouldn't be a damn draft before games are played i just Mm -hmm. think it's stupid but understand where the nhl is coming from i usually don't the nhl is usually a, a league that i get very frustrated with and i go why would you possibly be trying this i do understand why they want to get something out they're trying to find a way to grow this league in some meaningful way and failed in that regard in many ways in the past you know going to the olympics might have been half decent you get just as mad at the ioc for that and that's a whole another can of worms i don't know i want hockey back as soon as humanly possible frankly talking about all this oh what about the draft what's the nhl going to decide to do next i don't know i'd rather just yell about casper kapanen maybe that makes me the average everyday fan but that's the stuff that i love getting into the weeds about no of course it's just of like you're talking about off the top of the show uh i think one thing about kapanen that i've really appreciated with him is uh how he's really started to take on a bit more of uh an aggressive role and being more willing to play a physical style of game which we haven't really seen him do before turned Cal- into an enforcer the last couple weeks there yeah, exactly. And I really like that part of him. I think if he can use that part of his game more often, the Leafs have something super valuable. And what's the one thing that they lost when they trade away Nazem Kadri? They lost their asshole. And that's, I think Casper Kapan is the primary candidate, at least for me, who can be the team's asshole. And be that's... suspended in game two of the playoffs. Oh, oh wait, well. no. Sorry, what were you referring to? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's, that's when you become two Kadri. I think Kaepernick can uh, maybe, maybe a toned not, down Kaepernick. Make it to game three or four before he does something really stupid. There you oh, go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a I think that, that's what, honestly, one of the most annoying things about this season for me was the fact that Tyson Berry and that trade didn't pan out how the Leafs wanted it to at all. Like, you know, like giving up. Is there Nazem a time Kadri. for that to turn around? <laughs> and I, Dom Lucian's argument is that. You look at the Leafs' power play since Sheldon Keefe took over. It's first in the league, and it's not close. Mm-hmm. Look at uh, Barry's points, not just on the power play. Look at his even strength points. He's top five in the league. So isn't he providing what you wanted in that regard? In that regard. There's, there's yes and no. Yeah. Some of it I say, well, look who he's playing with. That's part of it. I'm like, if I'm on the ice with Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and Morgan Riley, I would score a lot of points too. <laughs> okay. Some yeah. of it is obviously him making talented plays. I do think that a player is in such a glorious position as him. I expect his on ice numbers to be better. And this is what some of the uh, uh, the advanced numbers show that when you adjust for teammate quality and adjust for the guys he's actually playing with, 
then the models say, wait, why are you only doing well? You should be doing amazing. That's my argument. I go, well, you put Rasmus Sandin in that spot or you put, I don't know, who's a really good defenseman in the NHL. You put them in that spot. I think that the overall 200-foot impact would be stronger. That's my frustration with Barry. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. And I think that Barry will probably find his footing again. Maybe if he's in a situation where he isn't relied upon to be the guy and he's doing something that's, that is more in tune with what, how he plays the game, I think Team that's who desperately gonna... needs help on the power play. You know yeah, what I mean? Because exactly. I think that's where he provides the most value is he's incredibly skilled and you can play him anywhere. Yeah, that's his bread and his butter. You... Yeah. Exactly. He can, yeah. he can play on the blue line. He can play on the wall. You can play him in the in the middle if you wanted of the 1-3-1. One, one. Frankly, I think he's better on the perimeter where he can use his skill. But just, you, you can't look at him and say, oh, that's not a skilled player. That's not yeah. a dynamic uh, kind of offensively talented because he obviously is. See the talent and you go, wow. Sometimes he pulls something out of his uh, tool bag. Like when he turns his stick over one-handed and picks up a pass and then puts it back on his forehand in one motion. I've never seen another player do that. Frankly, I think it's dumb. But the fact that he's able to do it, 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 it so quickly, his hands, his vision, his passing ability, his skill, all of that is first unit power play worthy. Mm -hmm. third part is that the other aspects of his game – result in him not being trusted by coaches against the best players in the league and it's why he's always played a second pairing role his entire life he's never been given top pair minutes because coaches have tried him that role and gone nope <laughs> there are a lot of frustrating parts that you can see when you watch him play I'm gonna say even if they don't show up in the numbers but they do show up in the numbers he gives up a lot defensively so mm -hmm. generates a lot offensively and when that's at its apex would argue that the pros outweigh the cons. That's what Dom Lucician would argue. Mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. argue that there are going to be offensive highs anyways when you're in that spot. And I'd like to see you when you're on the ice with elite players be give up so much defensively. And that's my problem is that I think they give up way too much defensively with him. And frankly, I had that argument about Riley this year as well. I'd like to see Riley play better, but that was also injury based. I think when Riley was actually back and you look at him in that, uh, Tampa Bay game, I think, was a classic example. When Riley's on his A game, he's a fun player. I love mm. Riley on his A game, but there are defensive frustrations with this Leafs team. And, and when you think about it, team's identity is going to be its top players that play its biggest uh, minutes. You know, Toronto's mm. identity was so, for so long. Jake Gardner was their even strength leader in minutes. So the stretch pass was the Leafs' identity because that's Jake yep. Gardner in a nutshell. Now you look at the Leafs, who are their minutes leaders? Well, Riley and Barry eat a lot of minutes. That style of play that, you know, taking lots of chances to score a goal, but we're going to give up a lot on the back end because of two-on-ones and three-on-twos and chances off the rush. That's Riley. That's Barry. And I think the Leafs are betting on that offensive skill, the pros outweighing the cons, and them really pushing people with their, their dynamic skill and just having the puck more than the other team. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I still think they need to get the puck back, and I don't think they're good enough at that. I think the Zach Hyman's and Ilya Mikheyev's really help in that regard. And that's one thing we don't talk about enough. Ilya Mikheyev's going to be back. Oh, yeah. And yep. in the top six, that leaves him as frightening. Oh, yeah. For sure. And I'm really excited to see what he can provide again because I think what Leaf fans didn't realize is just how valuable to the top six Mikheyev really became uh, in his short time. And that's the one thing that I'm concerned about in the offseason is what's his asking price going to be? Is he going to be willing Seven to take... Seven years, four and a half million. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. The Russian player, that's the going rate. Right? Oh, yeah. 
exactly yeah and then let's not forget that the Leafs also signed uh Barabinov and uh that could be you know kind of a Mikheyev experiment uh part two you know I remember I saw the article can he be the next Ilya Mikheyev and I just <laughs> wanted to answer no because he's not the same <laughs> he's not but I mean it, like, it could but, the, the, it's, it's an experiment in the same type of way that there could be a you know a really good potential upside Exactly. Lindholm, mm-hmm. here we go. Igor Ozhiganov, who, by the <laughs> way, anyone else fall for Igor Ozhiganov? Because I fell for it. Yep, I yep. fell for it too. I did too. Glimpses. I never fell for Par Lindholm. I think Scott Wheeler fell for Par Lindholm, and I was just like, <laughs> dude, I don't see it. I think he's bad. <laughs> Remember Petri Contiola? Oh, man, oh, the yeah. Finnish superstar. <laughs> there you go. Man. I do miss Brandon Cozen. Fun fact, I do miss me some Brandon Cozen. Still... <laughs> I'm listening to a lot of uh, the redraftables on the uh, the NBA uh, the Ringer show that they do mm-hmm. with Bill Simmons, and it's funny after the draft, which was like 20, 30 years ago, they say, "Okay, which player have you still not given up yet?" Sorry, which player have you still not given up on yet? Like their career is over, their career has been over for ten years, and they're like, "But I'm still holding out on this player." I feel like that's me. No, uh, <laughs> I'm just. And it's funny, like, if Travis Dermott never pans out 20 years from now, I'm going to say, you know what? Travis Dermott, who, like, was out of the NHL in his sixth year, still think he could be a top pair defenseman at age 36. You know, Cody Franson in the in the KHL playing an NHL top four. Mm-hmm. Just throwing it out there. Just throwing it out there. Oh, yeah, of course. For sure. So This I'll... is my hot take material. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to say to <laughs> people not. <laughs> well, we, we could – I mean – if there's one thing that I wish the Leafs did was give Brandon Cozen another chance because I really loved him during that preseason all those years ago. Mm. And it's just unfortunate that he got hurt. I could really skate. Yeah, that was the thing I loved too. Like, he was just fast. And I love that right away they came with the nickname, the Honey Badger. It was perfect. Just too bad he just couldn't stay healthy. And then once he once he got back in the lineup, he just really couldn't find his face folding yeah. in the lineup. It's kind of like Trevor Moore. Shout out Mike Stevens. legend. Shout out Mikey Stevens. Brendan Cozen's amazing in the KHL. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's funny when you hear about these guys. It's like Nigel Dawes, for whatever reason, never made it in the NHL. Now I think he has um, a, a Kazakhstanian uh, citizenship. Been playing there for like a decade, and he's uh, a Hall of Famer there. <sighs> it's just like, oh, these guys couldn't quite crack it at the NHL level. You go overseas to the KHL, and, and something clicks, and they become superstars. Oh, yeah. yeah. Some people would say, oh, it's because the KHL is a weaker league. And yes, that is true. But if you can dominate in the KHL, you can usually play in the NHL. But when guys go over and figure it out, do wonder what would happen if they chose to came back, come mm-hmm. back. But, mm-hmm. eh, I mean, it's hard. You know, you get into your 30s or you get in your late 20s and no one wants to take a chance on you anymore. I guess oh, that's yeah. going to happen with guys like Kozen. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, we do want to start closing out the, the podcast for today, but... We have a couple more questions. First, uh, I I know you're a big basketball fan. I mean, I read your article on uh, you know, a rap. I mean, a a, a hockey fan's guide to you, you know, looking at basketball analytically. But I want to ask you, um, can you kind of break it down for us? Uh, what are, what are the differences like, um, that you see between you know basketball and hockey analytically? It's a good question, and I try to watch more sports. Uh, this season was a big example for me because i wanted to incorporate different sports into my analysis when i look at tactics really in hockey and basketball and any sport i'm asking myself 
okay, what are you trying to accomplish here? And defensively, I'm asking myself, okay, how do I stop what they're trying to accomplish? When you look at it from a different lens and you use another sport to try to incorporate tactics, I think that's when you can be really innovative. And I think that's what the more creative teams tend to do is they look at the Spurs and the NBA. The cool things they did is they tried to incorporate more soccer techniques into their offense they wanted more movement they wanted quick passing the same way that teams do in soccer and that's the way we're going to break down the defense with smart movement and spacing you can apply concepts in one sport to another sport and i find that articles that try to do that a bit more tend to be my better written articles and the ones where i get away from it they're often not bad i like to think i'm a half decent writer but i think when i'm really at my best is when i'm getting into those cross sport references so with hockey and basketball, I'm probably better at basketball than I am at hockey, which is funny because I'm not really good at either. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, with hockey, I can skate, but I lack the skill to, you know, do anything high end. I, I need to be the fourth or fifth best player on the ice, which is all right. You know, there's value to the Justin Halls of the world, which is what I think I am of beer league. <laughs> I think if I played beer league consistently, I'd just be – second pair reliable can move the puck up and fill in for the forward when he needs to understands you know taking away the space from the other team but can't make a play when we need someone to make a play you can be looking to get the puck to the guys who can actually make a play so that was me in in hockey what's funny is it's me in in basketball too but i'm a way better defender in basketball in basketball one of the things i'm able to do is i'm able to use my kind of Athleticism is the wrong word because I'm not that athletic, but use my energy, I guess, is the, the right way of putting mm-hmm. it. And if you just try really hard defensively in basketball, you combine that at the NBA level with length and athleticism, it's it's really hard to score on you. And that's why my favorite players at the NBA level are always elite defensive players, kind of like they're the Zach Hyman types of the NBA. But let me quickly try to find a way to answer your question because I'm rambling about different sports just because no, I love no, the NBA worry. so much. Yeah, I course. love soccer and hockey. I love trying to find ways to combine them because I think you look at tactics in different sports and you look at the way that you break down different sports. So you start to learn a lot about yeah. maybe your own sport of, yeah, wait, I, this team. All right, go for it. Oh, I was going to say, I think like even we did it on this podcast like today, but a lot of the best discussions or, or you know, articles, things like that is when, um, you break down things just by, you know, those cross co- sport comparisons. Like we did, we did multiple times this, uh, mm-hmm. podcast and it's always, and I remember I was at a sports conference. It was one of those, uh, nerdy analytics conferences that I love going to. I forget which one it was, but I asked someone, it was, it was a panel of, uh, people who worked for teams, whether it was in the MLS or NHL or NBA. And the question I asked was, what's the consistent tactic that you've seen across sports that we tend to be encouraging analytically and, you know, whether it's hockey, baseball, uh, basketball, soccer, well, what's one kind of thing that's been consistent across all of them that we're trying to um, encourage tactically. And the, the thing I heard is taking more risks and more aggressively. Mm-hmm. And this is the case in not just basketball and hockey, but every sport find that the more aggressive tactic tends to be the higher, um likelihood of you winning that game and now the reason is because it's going to often lead to more offense which is going to outweigh what you give up defensively when you try something innovate oh sorry my mic there 
No worries. When you try something innovative, when you try something that's new that no one else is doing, it fails and you give something up, you're fired. You know, (laughs) if you don't have that job security, you know, NFL coach who goes for uh, the two point conversion to win the game misses it. Yeah, that's that's a tough uh, conversation. That might be a bad example because the numbers don't say go for it, uh, uh, you know, for a two point conversion all the time necessarily. Going for it on fourth down in the NFL is a great example. NFL, fourth and one, you should be going for it every time. Yep. But the Mike McCarthy on the Packers loved, loved bringing out his kicker despite having Aaron Rodgers and, you know, a really great offense. He's thinking, no, you know what we really need right now? Three points. I want seven. I want three. That's the kind of conservative mindset. Whereas in most sports, say, no, be more aggressive. Even if there is a chance of something bad happening and you're worried about it, Think more about what is the payoff if we do that aggressive tactic and we succeed. The If you're watching the Michael Jordan documentary, that's what uh, Phil Jackson decided about pressing. Defensively, if you look at any of these highlights of these playoff games, Jordan and Pippen are all over the other player that they're trying to guard literally as they're inbounding the ball because in the 90s you were allowed to get away with more contact like that. Mm-hmm. Phil Jackson tried a more aggressive tactic. He's like, we're going to give up more open shots. When it doesn't work, it's going to look really dumb. But mm-hmm. if we can commit to this, the payoff is going to be we're going to get more steals, more fast break opportunities. And in the end, the pros are going to outweigh the cons. And it was a more aggressive tactic and it worked. And we see this consistently across a lot of sports. And I think whether it's hockey trying to generate more cross ice passes, even if it's a pass with a defender there and you're thinking, ooh, I'm not sure if I can complete it. If you go for that risky pass and you complete it, it's a goal. So you should go for that pass because it's a risky pass, but I like stretch passes. I like cross ice passes. I like like home run passes where if you complete it, yeah, that's going in. I don't mind turnovers every so often. The payoff in basketball, if it's for a pass right under the hoop or a pass for a wide open corner three, yeah, if there's a higher risk of a turnover, I don't mind going for it on that specific play. When you do it, when the defense is set and and we're not running anything, that's just dumb. I don't know what you're doing, and that's those are the Tyson Berry dumb shots we're talking about versus the, you know, when you actually have traffic in front of the net and you're trying to actually make a play. But for me, if we're comparing the two sports, I guess the biggest takeaway I wanted to bring up was that even people who have worked in NHL front offices, NBA front offices, MLS front offices, when they're trying to encourage coaches and front offices. Uh, to make certain decisions. The overarching narrative is that they're trying to push them to be more aggressive, take more risks. And if you do that in either sport, you need to do it smartly. You need to do it on the right things. And I think this is the difference between just, you know, being dumb and aggressive and being smart and aggressive. You know the right times when to take those risks. And for example, when you're up by a goal with two minutes left in the third period, we don't go for that really high risk play you know maybe glass and out's actually the right play there but mm-hmm. in the long run in a tie game the first 50 minutes of a hockey game or even if you're winning but it's the second period you go for that play because i know you can make that play you can't make that play maybe stop going for the stretch passes nikita zaitza maybe just drop it off to the nearest man but <laughs> so <laughs> Well, there you go. Sure. I think that's pretty proof right there that all sports are connected in some way, shape, or form. And it's really a great way to help deepen your understanding of the sport that you love the most. Like you said with hockey, it's such a great tool to be able to understand the other sports. 
And that's something that I've found in my industry and like with people, with all my friends, is when they have a deeper understanding of other sports, they get to appreciate more their favorite sport a lot. And I think that that's something that people need to really start to do if they want to become better at analyzing like sports oh, yeah. like hockey. Because it's, and I, like I said, I feel like there should be much more done with analytics for hockey. Because when I want to research stuff for articles that I'm writing, I sometimes get frustrated, and I know you feel the same way, Ian, of just a lack of stats, like quality stats for comparison to the basketball. NBA, mm-hmm. In the NBA, it's awesome. You can look up a guy's catch and shoot, three-point percentage. You can look. Uh, you want to see what this guy's averaging on post-ups? Okay, how many points per post-up is this guy averaging? You can literally just look that up right now if you want to, every player in the NBA. Just simple stuff like that where it's accessible. It's something the fans will look at and think, I want players who can hit open threes, who hits most open threes in the NBA percentage attempts. I can look that up really quickly. Oh, oh, Kyle Korver is really good at this. Okay. All right. You can Danny green top 10 in the league last year. Okay. This is accessible analytics. That's very helpful and can help you grow the game. NBA has done a fantastic job with that. The NHL has not. So, <laughs> and NHL.com has been for a while. So, They've been a bit better lately. What, but what are some on, things man. that what are some things yeah. that you would want the NHL to kind of uh, I guess track and uh, make you know what are some things that you would want the NHL to make more accessible um, for analytics? Technology's coming. The technology's almost ready, from what I hear. And uh, here's what I'd love to see because I know they have the technology to do it. Mm-hmm. Want to see um, completed passes. Uh, I want to see, you know, like who has the highest completion percentage in the NHL, you know, Drew Doughty, I know famously led it one year. I was reading an Andrew Berkshire column and he's talking about Drew Doughty, how he led the NHL in pass completion percentage. And I thought that makes a lot of sense. I've watched a lot of Drew Doughty and he always makes the right play. So that is accessible to me. And I look at that and I go, Hey, that's a stat I might actually care about. Oh, you also need to take a look at Culty of those passes so that's the great thing about some of these stats is that it leads to a better conversation about the game oh and i just want Mm -hmm. more interesting stats i want you know me i'm a nerd i want my zone entries and my zone exits but i'm Mm -hmm. thinking of something that people actually care about about um passes to the slot those give me the the the, i want to know who leads the league in those and like 60 minutes if i'm going nerdy but just who leads the league in passes to the slot Oh, it's McDavid? Oh, that makes sense. Oh, Dreisaitl second? Oh, that also makes a lot of sense. That's the kind of stuff that I think a lot more fans would love to see. Mm -hmm. NBA has it where it's a stat that makes sense in the context of the sport. So a fan and a coach and a player will will all look at the stat and know exactly what it means. I think in the NHL right now, we have dumb stats, like stat names at least, you know, Corsi, a lot of things that fans can't relate to. Mm-hmm. and that's a big problem and i think that the nhl has an opportunity to go we'll give you a um, save percentage on shots from these locations and we'll give you uh players shooting percentage from all these locations and give you passes to the slot we'll give you all these things that you can actually look at and learn more about the game mm-hmm. i think it helps everybody i think the nhl has kind of been in its own way for a while in this department because technology's been there the nba's had sports view tracking technology since i want to say early 2010s nhl and now the year 2020 is finally implementing this so appreciate it but sucks that they're always behind on these issues i'd like to see them do a a better job of being on the forefront and really helping fans understand more about the game that we all just clearly love but this has become a rant about the nhl because i can say this about 
a number of issues about the NHL and it comes back to them not really caring about their fans and I'd like them to care a bit more about their fans, frankly. Of course, absolutely. Of course. I think that's just the one thing too. The NHL, we always say this, they don't, they're the best league, they're the best sport, but the worst league in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. we joke about that all the time, but it's really true. They're really behind comparison to other leagues. And you're right. This is a prime opportunity for them to really jump that curve and get back on track because the NHL, in a lot of ways, people don't like to admit it, but it's really fallen behind. For sure. It's funny. I went to the United States. Um, to, I went to Minnesota on a road trip earlier in the year. I think this was October. And I stopped at a bar to watch some sports. They had all different sports on the TV. Hockey. I'm in like the northern U.S. I'm in states that like if they cared about hockey, like these would be the ones that would actually care about it. And there's mm-hmm. college football, college basketball, a bunch of different stuff, but no NHL. And it's hard. I think a lot of Americans don't care about hockey. And I think if you want to grow the game, you got to find a way to grow it in the U.S. If you're going to make the NHL you know, this this viable market, because I think Canada clearly cares about it. And I know we can talk about what well, oh does Canada need another hockey team and Honestly, I'd love to see Quebec City get a team. That'd be so cool. <laughs> same year, same year. All, uh, other big cities there. But but if the NHL is going to succeed long-term the way that like the NBA and the NFL mm-hmm. have, grow the game in their own uh, country. Yeah. They've done a bad job of that. So, I don't know. I don't even want to talk about this kind of stuff because it's going to be another hour-long discussion. But <laughs> NHL's got some work to do in, in that department when it comes to hashtag growing their game. We go to the Olympics. I don't know. Just a, <laughs> just a thought. Yeah, that's a great place to start for that too. I mean, well, let's <laughs> see if that becomes a thing too. Um, but we'll leave we'll leave it at that. But uh, to close out the episode, Michael, I believe we have uh, just a few uh, questions from Twitter from the Twitter yes. users um, that they want to ask. Yeah, we already asked one of them from Omar, but the next one's going to be from PM Toronto, and it's going along with the discussion about analytics. Uh, how many professional sports teams do you know of that are making roster decisions based on analytics? And I know that uh, your relationship with Rachel, you're, uh, she's able to provide some insight into how teams like the Devils make their decisions based on analytics. But I wonder how many other teams uh, do the same thing. To me, this always comes down to how you define you know, analytics because I think a lot of teams want to measure things and a lot of teams find their own specific way to do, uh, let's say, measuring the, the shots that their goalie's facing and what, what the quality of them. Every team's going to want to do that some way. They're going to find a way to do it, and they're going to make some kind of an assessment based on that tracking that they're using analytics. We don't put it under that branch. We don't call it that. So no one's going to talk about, the I don't know, the St. Louis Blues famously don't have an analytics person hired to them, so clearly they don't care about analytics. Look at the way that they've drafted and developed players. I think that this team is using some smart decision-making and to think that, you know, data never enters that realm is just dumb because data is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Data is production. Data is it's everywhere. So I've always been a numbers guy and I've always thought of things in a math way because I'm a nerd and I liked math growing up. Most people don't. Most people don't like math, especially people who work in sports. So uh, particularly hockey. So when you're communicating uh, any idea that kind of started from a math idea, you need to explain it in a very hockey way. And I think that's kind of 
the the biggest thing I've been trying to do with my writing, and I, I clearly I can do a better job with my my podcast, and I, I'd I'd like to get some episodes out weekly again. Uh, last two months have been rough on everyone, man. It's it's been a weird go mm-hmm. here lately, but I, I'm thinking that we can all be a bit nicer in that regard. But no, of course. there's a lot of frustrating stuff going on right now. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree with you on that. And uh, I think that that's one of the biggest challenges with embracing analytics. And we see it all the time on Twitter and uh, in the comment section of articles oh, yeah, where sure. there are people that are uh, just brushing off the analytics because it's for them, it's just too complex to understand. And I think that that's the one thing that I appreciate for you, that you do in your articles where you try to bridge that gap that the more casual fan has a better understanding of what does Corsi 4 percentage mean? What does... Uh, Scoring chances for a percentage mean like those are the yeah. kind of things that also on us important. though you know us nerds can we not name stuff really dumb stuff stop <laughs> using the word coursey like let's talk about <laughs> shots talk about scoring chances um you know let's talk about if we're using a number for something let's use it for they actually know what i'm talking about oh yeah so if i and this is the hard part with something like rapm or xg 90 percent of people don't know what that means so I try to use other things when I'm explaining. Mr. Matthews had a great game. He had seven scoring chances. You know, he had seven shots from the slot himself. That's ridiculous. Yeah, he didn't score, but, you know, another night he might have had two or three. Th- these kind of games, you tend to generate lots of offense. I'm going to give him four stars. And these are my bad report cards. And this is, you know, you, people probably mm-hmm. going to argue about that in the comments section. I was too hard on him. I was too nice to him. This is beauty of leaf support cards i really miss the the banter of everyday comment section mm-hmm. oh yeah i totally agree with you on that uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um what was uh move on to the next question i feel like i didn't have a good answer for that last one so we should keep, keep moving <laughs> no, on. I no I it was a good, good, was a good it, i thought it was a really good answer yeah um this one this next, there you go there you go this next one is from uh, Nick Barden. Uh, shout out to Nick. Uh, he's great on YouTube, or at least he's, oh, yeah. he's getting his career started on Nick's there. Nick's awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, on TikTok, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he just wants to tell you that he misses Regress Ian. I kind of miss it, too. It was a good handle. It was, it was a, good a good handle, handle. back in the day. Appreciate the math joke in there. I feel like for me to have a, a Twitter name, to some kind of math reference in there, it would just be wrong because of my nerdiness. So. Graph is what it's at right now, and I've got the little graph emoji next to my. I'm trying to rebrand. I'm thinking I might be like officially like something more professional soon. I don't know when it's gonna happen, but it's it's gotta happen at some time in the near future. Though I don't think I'm gonna be Ian Graph for the rest of my is life. Is your is your name taken already? Ah, uh, no, that's the hard part. So I'm trying yeah. to figure out what the smart right thing to go with is. And there aren't great handle names out there. I don't want anything with. A bunch of underscores in it. I want it to look clean, but the the smart people are, are guys like Myrtle who got in there early. You know what his Twitter handle is? It's Myrtle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone now, like if you go to make an account, you gotta have some number underscore spaces. Yeah, there there aren't a lot of great options available to me right now. So if you have a good idea for a Twitter handle that's available, please let me know. I am very interested in something that's more professional than Ian Graf. Which is professional, by the way. I walk into a room, I say I'm Ian Graff. I think that should hold some goddamn weight to it. But, you know, that's just me. <laughs> no, of course. And because that name came from Jeff O'Neill, like, you have to... That's what I mean. I'm like, you heard it on Overdrive. I'm Ian Graff, goddammit. Like... <laughs> <laughs> you know what would be the dream uh, episode? Would be you, 
Jeff O'Neill and Freddie the Goat just talking about how about how Freddie's <laughs> like, value is. Latest puzzle that he just uh, that he just did. It was a big one. It was a nice two thousand piece puzzle, but he crushed it in a day. Of course, he's very of course. smart. Of course. <laughs> Plus, I, I know people who know usually don't do puzzles or doing puzzles right now. He does puzzles in his free time. So I'm curious what he's up to right now. He's probably just challenging his mind in some new way. He's he's such an interesting guy. Puzzles are great. I, I just ordered a puzzle actually. Um me and my family are gonna do it, but it's uh I think it's a thousand piece of uh it's the Rogers Center, like a panoramic view of the Rogers Center. Oh, so, that's sick. Yeah. I mean hopefully it's I feel like with those ones, like we got it on Amazon. I, I feel like with those ones, it's like almost someone just prints them, you know, like it's not like, um, like made in bulk or things like that. And I don't want it to be like low quality or anything. No, of course. Of course. Um, we actually do have one more question I wanted to ask. It's, uh, from PM Toronto as well. Um, but the last part of his question was, uh, do you have any stories, any leaf stories of players or trades impacted by analytics? Um, good question. I'm trying to think of a way to answer it because in some way, shape, or form, a lot of them are. I mean, Carolina is very clearly making decisions based on a philosophy that I think Eric Tulski had publicly, which is a lot of stats-based arguments that you should be going for players who impact play and are driving the their value through their impact on not necessarily – point production but you look at their shot differentials when these guys are on the ice we're out shooting the other team so even if it's at all it's getting us in that spot and eventually the puck's going to go in the net and carolina's really bought in on that philosophy and acquiring players like nino niederreiter tivu teravainen uh it helps when you get to draft a sveshnikov that guy's pretty good but look at their the way that they value defensemen and just the way that they've been running things i think carolina is the best example right now of a team whose office decisions you can very clearly see are based on the public data that's out there right now some teams can be claimed to be using some private data that does help them in certain areas goaltending is a great example of a, a place where public data is not going to help you at all because you really need some of that private stuff to get a better idea on how to evaluate goaltenders I would argue that publicly we have pretty good ways of evaluating forwards and defensemen right now. There, mm. there's some areas I'd like to get a bit deeper into when you get a look behind the curtain there. But for the most part, you look at the way that Carolina has been running things the last couple of years, a very analytics focused uh, team. And that's why on Twitter, the nerds love them. The old school hates them. Uh, it's also, you know, the uh, Dougie Hamilton effect of he likes museums and the fact that they do their little celebrations afterwards. But I don't know. You look at the way Carolina's been running things. I think they're the best example of a team whose philosophy in the way that they hand out contracts, acquire players, very clearly based in some of the main arguments that we're making in the analytics community. I think we'd all look up to the Carolina Hurricanes and say, yep, ideas that we're talking about right now and analytics, us, us nerds and our crazy ideas about the game and the fact that we think Nino Niederreiter is really good. Yeah, this is this is what we think. Now, guess what? We look really dumb because he had a bad year this year. He had a really good year when he was traded for them, and then he had a, a bad year this year. So sometimes players just flip-flop and, and make you look really smart or really stupid. If you make predictions about hockey for a living and you're trying to assess what's going to happen in the future, you know that you're going to be wrong like 90% of the time. So just accept that right away, and it makes life a lot easier. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Of course. 
Um, so I think we'll wrap up the, uh, the episode here. We wanted to thank you again, Ian, for coming onto the podcast. I hope you had fun. We, I definitely had fun. Oh, of course. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on guys. It was good to, you know, chat with people. I think it's always good to keep in touch with friends at times like these, you know, I find that any call or FaceTime I make tends to make my day better in general. So it was good to chat hockey here. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate always. it. No, of course. Yeah, of course. we'd always love to have you back on to talk when actually hockey is back. But even in general, we'd just love to have you back on. It's really great to discuss with you about uh, analytics and uh, just trying to understand the eye test, uh, just how players can be super valuable, like uh, your boy Travis Dermott. Yeah, I'm looking like a genius on that one this year, aren't I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So one last time, do you want to just plug your uh, socials and where listeners can find you? Yeah, sure. I've been pretty dark the last two months, honestly, with uh, respect to my Twitter, at Ian Graff. But I'm going to try to kickstart things again here. I'm trying to, you know, take a positive step forward here and into some better habits again. So I'm going to try to tweet more. I'm going to get my Leafs Geeks podcast out there again. I really haven't posted it since the the season went on hiatus, but I'll start things up again. Try to get into some better routines here. So at Ian Graff, the Leafs Geeks podcast. I also... Do a staff and graph podcast with Rachel Dory. She is to work for the New Jersey Devils. The staff, the graph. We like getting in discussions about things around the league, uh, tactics and stuff. So if you're into that kind of stuff, uh, maybe check out that. But otherwise, thanks for having me on, guys. I really do appreciate it. And if, if you need to have me on at any point later in the quarantine, happy to break down season two of uh, Too Hot to Handle whenever that comes <laughs> up. Really looking forward to it. Of course, sure. of course, man. Of course. And um, yeah, I mean... That was that was that was just awesome. Uh, we'll close out. You can follow me at uh, Matt underscore Rodrigo underscore on Twitter and Michael. You can follow me on Twitter at the Leafs IMO. Awesome. So uh, thanks again for listening. Thank you to Ian for being on, and uh, we'll we'll catch you guys next time. See you guys. Bye.